Hi, everybody, and welcome to Totally Tintin. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Didrick. A lot of podcasts uh, will give you 10% Tintin. Some will give you 25% Tintin. We're the only ones that will give you Totally Tintin. 100%. That's right. That's the most percent there can be, unless you don't know math. Or you're a, a gym coach who's asking for 110%. Because give, he does not know well, math. That's or a, she. No, no. She, women can also not know math. We give, a, we give 100% Tintin and 110% effort. Okay, so you, podcast. so you don't know math either. Uh, it's fine. That sounds fine to me as well. Uh, today we're going to be going over Red Rackham's Treasure. Uh, here's the way the show works. Uh, I'm a professional comic book artist, uh, writer type guy, mostly writer, uh, not that great an artist, let's be <laughs> honest. Uh, but I've never read Tintin before. My friends have. They've highly recommended the books uh, to me, but I've never uh, been through them before. My friend David, who is also a comic book person, on the other hand... I'm the friend that Ian ignored. All my uh, <laughs> advice that you should read these fantastic books, he completely uh, shrugged it off. But uh, we mm-hmm. finally forced him to read them, and I think he's enjoying them. I'm a longtime fan of, of Hergé's work and of Tintin. I think that will become apparent very quickly. That I'm a longtime fan? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't think you're just making all this stuff up. If you are, oh boy, you've what been an, pulling a long con on this show. What an actor. Oh my gosh. So we're doing them all in order, uh, and what we do is we give a little bit of context to where we are in the history of Hergé. Then we go into the book. Uh, usually Which is? Well, 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 we'll get to it. Okay, sorry. All right. It's all, it's all about pacing. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, and then we go into the books a page at a time. Too excited. So if you were, it's all right. It's all right to be excited. That's fine. Uh, and, uh, so if you have not read the books yet, uh, we will have some spoilers. You can, it, a lot of people we've been finding have been, uh, listening to the podcast first and then going and getting the books next. That's up to you. However you want to live your life. We're not going to judge. Yeah. Uh, rel- relatives of mine have been asking for the books after I, they've listened to the podcast going, oh, that sounds interesting. So, you know, however you come to Tintin, that's fine. But you've been warned that there are spoilers. Yes. All right. So uh, let's get started, uh, as we normally do, with a little bit of context. So everyone, please uh, sit upright. That's the right way to receive <laughs> context. And I'm going to turn the floor over to David Begin. That's right. Imagine that you're little Congolese boys and girls sitting in a classroom, and I am Tintin at the blackboard. Okay. Uh, all right. At what level of... Uh, okay, boy, we're getting deep cuts with this. Uh, what version of that scene are you doing? Are you telling them about Belgium and how it's amazing? That's right. I'm going to be doing all about the fatherland, Belgium. Ugh, okay. Now well, we're getting into that. All right. So, um, Context away, my friend. Well... Last week we did Secret of the Unicorn, and so obviously this is the continuation of that story. It was intended as a two-parter. He knew when he went into it that he was going to be doing this big story. What was the Secret of the Unicorn? The Secret of the Unicorn? How do you mean? What What was it? it? The Secret of the Unicorn, the model, the secret is that each of them has a scroll inside the mask that that has a secret to the treasure, Red Rackham's treasure. And that's why we're here today with Red Rackham's treasure. So we continue on with that story. So this this book, he took a month, which he says at the end of... uh, the unicorn, Tintin turns to the audience and says, we'll see you in a month right? Uh, with the next episode of, of Tintin. And so while well, he, he wanted that time to do more research, as he carried on with these stories, he got more and more interested in that, you know, having a big uh, file of, of, you know, resources. He collected National Geographic magazine. He collected all kinds of magazines. He would cut out things and he would put them away, file them away for later reference. He may never have used them. Some he just sat in his in his uh, photo uh, reference library and were never used. We were just on the off chance that I do a story about this thing. This would be really interesting. It would be unusual to ha- to use all of your reference. I guess. Yes. I guess. Uh, you know, unless you're lazy like me, and then you only collect reference 
on the idea that you're going to use it for a particular story and not on the off chance that you'll think of a story. And so you're saying you complete all of your projects? No. Well, there we go then. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Um, So... uh, so he started doing this. We're th- getting personal here now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this started in February 29th. Yeah. Or sorry, February 19th, oh, 1943. Okay, 43. To September the 23rd, 1943. All right. So still bad times. Yes, yeah, still bad times. And then it was published in book form 1944. So still living under German occupation. And I mean, it's really not impacting that much on Hergé, for instance. I mean, he's working at a, at a successful newspaper, albeit r- basically run by the Nazis. Uh, with, you know, uh, help from uh, willing volunteers from the Belgian uh, press. So these people are, are working, you know, hand, hand in glove with the Nazis. You know, they're taking their orders from above and then they're putting that news, this, you know, news from a particular angle into the, into the newspaper. Now, Hergé wasn't part of that, let's be fair. Hergé was just doing a comic strip that it was published on the page that had the stockbroke, had like the, uh, what do you call that? The uh, stock reports? Yeah, stock reports. Yeah, yeah. Stock market, yeah. Stock market reports. Not just, yeah, not the uh, price of pigs, but just the yeah general business uh, paper, which is strange, I think, because that's like a weird place to be looking for a comic strip would be in the... I just I remember guess when, I was a, no... when I was a kid, you know, they'd uh, they'd always have one comic strip they put in the, with the uh, classified ads and they'd have to hunt it down. Yeah, and that's they'd, right. They'd that's read right. that one. It sounds like this would be that one. That was your teaser. Uh, and so... What's interesting about this book, well, one is that um, this was the first book that was published in English as a book. Um, King Autocar Scepter, which you talked about before, was published in a magazine, a British magazine called The Eagle, and it ran in there as a translated version. But this one was the, this, these two stories, The Secret of the Unicorn and Radarakim's Treasure, were published by Casterman, uh, Ayrshire's publisher in Belgium. They published them in the British market. They did their own translation. And they published them, and they promptly sank like a stone. And just for whatever reason, uh, maybe because no one knew who he was, and Casterman didn't really have any kind of connections to the British book market, they really couldn't make it fly. So it took you know another seven years for Methuen to do their translations of those stories. And then they took off like a house on fire. So it may have just been a problem with the market. They just didn't have the, the clout to get the books into the stores and, and, to, and get the publicity out there. Uh, unlike in North America, where Tintin was a real hard sell, in England, it, once it, you know, when it was distributed properly, it was a big hit right, right. away. Um, now, so, as, you know, the war is going on, so as, as we near the end of the run of, of Red Rackham's treasure, so September the 3rd, 1943, uh, Mussolini was arrested and Italy surrendered to the Allies. So already. Let me say this. Yay! Yay, that's there, right. Okay. So we're already starting to see the German, uh, you know, their war, their empire is already starting to crumble. And so now everyone's getting nervous, of course, because things are not looking so good for people who are working in the press with the Germans. What are you going to do? Like, you, you've made your bed. Now you want to get out of it, you know? So, uh, so some of the staff, they're like, Le Soir, they're, should we, like, you know, quit? Like, leave the Germans? Like, change, changed what we're doing and uh de becker the editor-in-chief raymond de becker he you know kind of gathered everyone together uh, on this day september the third and did this kind of big speech just saying you know we got to hold got to hold our course 
we got to keep, you know, keep uh, what we're doing. If we make any sudden changes, you know, it's going to cause a lot of problems. Blah, blah, blah. Now, this guy was a fascist, mm-hmm. you know, so he was not willing to let this fascist dream die with, with, the, with the, the surrender of Italy. He wanted, his dream was still, you know, a, a unified Belgium, you know, French and Flemish, in, within this German empire, a strong voice, you know, not a not a, a slave state, but a, a actual active member of this, you know, Third Reich or whatever right. they're going to be living under. That was his dream, yeah. you know, which everyone else... Boo on that dream. Okay, but continue, please. But what I like in his speech yeah. it, itself, what I liked that he said was, uh, he said, had this great quote, which is, the fundamental psychology of the Germans has remained the same despite national socialism. It's characterized by undoubted goodwill, which... Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh but also by being extremely out of touch with reality, stemming from their inability to grasp the psychological nature of other people. So I thought that was a rather interesting uh, way yeah. to look at what was happening, you know, but that still didn't change the fact that, uh, uh, you know, what you know, the reality of what they're facing. And like a month later, the Germans took, like, ousted him to Becker, and he was arrested and taken back to Austria. So he was gone, and then they were searching around for a new editor-in-chief. What did they arrest him for? No real reason, you know, whatever. Okay. Just goodbye. All right. Not working out. This relationship isn't working. It's not me. It's not you. It's me. Well, That's what that, they said Yeah, to him. I understand. I understand. They're Nazis. <laughs> That's what they do. Okay. So when, what's interesting is Hergé, published in Le Soir, he's still looking for publishing opportunities outside of outside of um, the Le Soir. And, and he's, so he's shopping around, and he's shopping uh, sto- Tintin to, like, other collaborationist newspapers. Uh, one... Uh, one did ask him to join, like to take Tintin out of Le Soir and come to it. It was called L'Avenir, uh, the future. But it, it, uh, you know, I probably had a smaller circulation, so I wasn't really interested. Like he was already, you know, in a kind of a tentative situation. So why make it worse by lowering what you're, you know, lowering your, your, your market and then also just keeping in the same situation? Now, Tintin was a success at this point. Very big. Yeah. I mean, it was basically. You know, probably the most popular thing in Le Soir, Okay. To be honest. And Le Soir was popular. Le Soir was very popular. It okay. had about uh, about a six hundred thousand a day circulation. Okay. So it was basically the paper for French speaking Bel- Belgians. That was what they read, even though they knew it was mostly fake. Mm-hmm. They still read it out of habit, and they were curious. You know what the what the twist was. I think we talked about last week, where like in Holland, the Germans confiscated all the radios. So people in Holland had no idea what was happening in the real world. All their news was being fed to them through through German propaganda, whereas in in Belgium they didn't for whatever reason. And so they were getting the German Bel- the German BBC. propaganda, but they're also getting yeah. the radios. So radio signal from Britain. So they were hearing both sides of they're hearing British propaganda and German propaganda, and somewhere it was the middle was probably true, right? So uh, so then uh, he's you know he's trying to. Get his, you know, he keeps trying to increase the circulation for Tintin. He obviously wants it to be a big success, and so his editor at at Casterman, uh, Charles um, Charles Lane, sorry, he he said uh, this is the guy who was the one who thought of the idea of having uh, uh, them hiring an actor to play Tintin and come to a train station when he still worked at at Levantium Siacla. That was his idea. But anyway, so he became which was a good idea. It was a great well, idea. Yeah. yeah, and so he's uh, so he you know, wrote to Hergé and he said, do you think it's a good idea at this time to be, you know, looking for other, you know, to be putting your, your Tintin into these sort of newspapers? Because what happened was, like about nine months before this, the 
government in exile, the Belgian government in exile, had made this ruling, had like written this, you know, declaration, a statement about collaboration. And basically they said that anyone who collaborates will be punished, you know, fully up to capital punishment. So, you know, Lane saying to, to Hergé, uh, do you think this is a good idea for you to be putting, you know, Tintin into more newspapers that are tainted when we can see that the tide is turning and uh, you are you know what the punishment's going to be? And so Hergé wrote back, I think, a really interesting letter. Now, we talked about this last week as well, where I said he had a strange, he seems strangely, uh, he seems strangely complacent. Like he didn't go and hide when the, when the, the, when there were uh, air raids. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't go into the shelter with other people. He would just stay in his in the offices and continue working. Like he just had this weird sense. Of, I don't know if it was this complete naivete, complacency. It was weird sense of he was bulletproof, or you know whatever would be would be. It was God's will. I don't know. But he he writes back to Lane. He says, he said to him, now is the time to appear in the greatest number of newspapers possible, even if some of these papers are destined to disappear or change direction after the war. In any case, I will reach the largest public. It would be an excellent plan, considering that when it's all over, American comic books will reappear on the scene, backed by the propaganda of animated films. The reactions that you fear are entirely possible, I'd say most probable. There are unmistakable signs of it, but I'm already listed among quote-unquote traitors for having published my illustrations in Le Soir, for which I will be hanged or executed. They have not decided on this point. The worst that can happen to me is that having been shot or hanged for my collaboration with Le Soir, I will be executed again or rehung for my collaboration with Laced News and reshot and rehung for my collaboration with Lafamine News in which Quick and Flepka have appeared since September 1940. The most horrible is being hung or shot for the first time. After that, it seems you get used to it. <laughs> Whatever happens, I am the only one condemned. But on the other hand, think of the wonderful publicity this will give the books. <laughs> so it's a we- it's a kind of a weird mix of humor and just it's yeah. a kind of it's an interesting attitude that he had to this and, and i mean the way i you know, it, this could have been as uh, how he looked at it and again i'm just projecting here but when things are so terrible and you and you've got no maybe you do have choice but when you feel you've got no choice if you create a fictional world you can sort of project yourself and just care about that fictional world it's yeah. like someone who cares about their child instead of caring about themselves and they can get through something because I'm just caring about the child. Yeah. But in this case, caring about the work and it's just like, I'm just going to care about Tintin. Yeah. I'm going to get Tintin grow. I'm going to get Tintin get bigger and whatever happens to me happens to me. It will all still benefit Tintin in the end. So I'm just going to focus on Tintin uh, as this all happens. Yeah. And that is what ended up happening. And, you know, Tintin did grow. It's it's interesting. I mean, maybe you're right. I mean, because, well, let's, let's talk about the book then. We can just we can move out we just, of context. You, yeah, you think of like how many hours a day he spends on Tintin. Yeah, and you know that's something that does happen with a lot of creators is they end up caring actually about the creations. You think this is just a fictional creation, but yeah. no, you're so you spend so much time in your head with the character and what's going to happen, and you think of different things that will happen much more than the reader will ever read. So yeah, you end up caring, and so I could see how you would like throw the focus to yeah. that, and that might be a survival mechanism in a time like this. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And so, yeah, well, so speaking of creating a fictional world, I mean, let's talk about Red Rackham's treasure then, because here we are stepping fully into a fictional world. There's absolutely no sense in this book that there's a war on. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea that characters could, uh, you know, be mounting a treasure hunt during World War II in from occupied Belgium, sailing out, uh, going to, to the Caribbean to look for treasure. I mean, it's impossible. Yeah. You know, the world was at war. 
the ocean was at war. Everywhere was fighting. Everywhere was involved in some way in this massive war effort. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but it's nowhere visible in the story. These stories are completely removed from reality. Yeah, I mean, though, you know, and that's the thing. If there was a story that was taking place in the mainland, and, I'm, and I don't know what happens in future stories. Maybe they do take place in the mainland. But, like, if a story was taking place in the mainland, you would probably be going, where, where is the war? Where is all this? You well, know, we, could, we could have said that about the last, the secret of the unicorn. Like, where is where is the war in those stories? Though, those stories feel like they're taking though place. Though, for the most part, <laughs> in that story, they're just going back and forth between their flats a lot of the time. There isn't yeah. a lot of going out to somewhere where you would see the effects. Yeah. Whereas here, uh, they just go to sea. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're gonna if if you're looking for escapism as a reader. That's where you'd find it. Is they're out on the ocean, and and I, I know you're saying there is war on the ocean, yeah. but there are places on the ocean where the war hasn't touched. So you can't, you know, and under the sea, sure. where your only big problem is sharks mm -hmm. that want to eat you, and that must be a relief to someone at that time reading that. Yeah, assuming you could somehow escape from Belgium by boat, right? You know, beat, you know, escape the Nazis in the harbor, maybe, mm -hmm. and after you get out of the out of the you know, we cross through the channel or which, wherever you're going to go, you don't get blown up right. by U-boats. But you don't have a lot of them of shipping off in this. <laughs> Most of the story takes place actually in the sea mm -hmm. or that, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. So if you're looking but for... But I'm just saying it's, it's not realistic to, to imagine To get that there. Time. I get there. But once they get there, it's like, you know, I know they go to the moon sometime. Sure. Realistically, to get to the moon, it's not. But if you're looking for escapism mm -hmm. uh, from everyday life, then the moon and under the sea, that's pretty good. That's well, pretty good. The moon, I mean, the moon one's different. I mean, the moon one is a... Again, I have is, not read the moon Yeah, one. I mean, the moon one is based in... It's scientific. It's scientifically possible the way that they mount the expedition to the moon. It's okay. not It's not a, a you know, a flying to, to a planet made of cheese mm -hmm. scenario. It's very realistic. It's based on the known science of that time. It was very heavily researched. These stories are just make-em-ups. Like you don't from, think the submarine would work? Well, the submarine's based in reality. Mm -hmm. You know, th those are things that he Does researched. Does calculus make any machines that uh, would not be real? They seemed realistic, actually, when I when I saw the machines yeah, yeah. that he there's made. Reality, there's yeah. reality within his fantasy, yeah. but there's, it's still in the end. Though sometimes, I mean, it, here's the thing. When you get a mad scientist a la calculus in a lot of these stories, you know, then they've got a time machine, or they've got a thing that will duplicate your dog, or something that's just crazy bananas. But yeah, it seemed like calculus in this was it seemed grounded enough in reality, mm -hmm. Somewhat. you know, that you you know you could realistically i mean i see nothing that's in this book that you could not actually build oh, in no. modern day no no within within the fantasy it's it's a real world mm -hmm. i mean he he went tintin or not tintin erge went to ostend went to the coast and you know sketched uh fishing trawlers so he could get a model for for the serious that's mm -hmm. used in this book because as you said before he drew a boat that was unrealistic once and got yeah. scolded for that and, and still had the yeah, scars couldn't take it he wanted to be everything to be just so you know so mm -hmm. everything is carefully researched right down yes to the submarine itself which is based on an actual magazine uh picture that he found oh is that the, right in a german magazine yeah it was american submarine nice but he saw the picture in a german magazine and he cut it out Intending one day to use it. My favorite, again, I, I had not read these uh, books before, but I was a big fan, one of this cover. I love this cover, and I loved it. Being, like, I've seen a lot of people have had this as a poster, because it's just such a gorgeous cover. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm a huge fan of the two red fish on the cover. They're just beautifully drawn fish. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, I would like to see these, uh, I've gone on record saying I want these fish to have a spin-off series. I want to see <laughs> what, what's the deal with these fish, because those guys, they're just, ah, oh, they're gorgeous. 
This Perfectly is, drawn fish. This is a cover I'd like to see in black and white, like without the color as ah, well. Ah, well, I love the red and the fish, so I'm against you on that one. Well, just, I would like me. to see. Well, because I just I would like to see it without the color, like how the ink, how the lines work. Okay. Just just the lines without the color, because some of the fish themselves, yeah, there's a lot of color there that kind of makes the fish in a way. But at the same time, if you just look at the pen lines. How much they suggest of of the fish? It's interesting. I would just, I, yeah. I'd just be curious to see it. Yeah, I also love Tintin looking up at the jellyfish as you would. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fish behind him, they're very calm. Yeah, and these two fish just, oh, I'm out, of, I'm out of the way, and and they don't. And make your the favorite f- motif? What's that? Snowy. Oh, I like Snowy looking directly at Snowy? the viewer. Yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm all for that because Snowy knows that he's being looked at on the covers. Uh, but I like that the fish, they haven't made the fish look too, uh-huh, like uh, doing a double take or anything. Yeah. But realistically, as far as fish go, these fish are getting out of the way of that thing because, yeah. uh, you know, it's a coming. We don't blame them. No, that's great. That's a that's a gorgeous cover. Yeah, now, it's fantastic. Now, now, quick question. Are you reading this one in French or are nope, you reading it in English? this one I do not have these books in French. Now, I've got another question for you. You're saying that this was the first one uh, that was uh, published in English. So it was uh, uh, the secret of the unicorn and this book together were published uh, in English. Yes. Oh, okay. So this yeah. was was this the first time the translators came in? They did not work on this book. No. So who translated it, or how did? That I don't know work? who. I, I don't know uh, that much detail about the Casterman versions, like who they got to translate it. I don't okay. know. Okay. Uh, the reason the reason I'm asking uh, that is because we're introduced to a new character in here, which yeah. is uh, Calculus. Yes. Uh, and. It's uh, it, in my experience because I I do Simpsons and Futurama comics, yeah. and when you write a pun or a sound alike word, like someone goes, uh, "You've got to shift that gear." Did you say Richard Gears here? Yeah. You know that kind of thing. Uh, those are difficult to translate, and often we try to avoid that. So, but what you've got is a character who seems almost entirely based on sound alike words in this. Okay. So, uh, again, I understand he's one of your favorite characters. But that was that was the one thing that grated on me through the whole thing was that guy one that it's the same joke over and over again, and two I always get the feeling when I see that that we're not getting the real joke because it's obvious that if it's a sound alike then it must be a sound alike French word initially, okay. and you're now trying to find a good enough sound alike in English which will never match. You know, once maybe once once You'll in a while. You'll be very disappointed when we'll talk about it when we okay. get to him. Okay, but, but let's, it's, let's get be, to him first. It'll be once in a while. You'll uh, you'll you'll hit the right one, but it's yeah. just like anything that's obviously a pun. Yeah. You know, when translated into another language, you're scrambling. But if a character is just based on puns, whew, that's uh, that's tough. That's tough. But yeah, we'll get to him when we get to him. Yes. Fair enough. So we both agree this is a fantastic cover. Fantastic the first, cover. The first in a long run of great covers, except for the Seven Crystal Balls cover, which if it had a background, if it was had like the library, okay. like a, like a, you know, like a manor house library. Okay. It would be a great cover. It would be one of the greatest covers. And again, you dislike the Secret of the Unicorn cover. I dislike it. I don't like collage covers. And I dislike the Crystal Balls cover because I do not like covers that are just... Uh, floating in midair over a, like a, a solid color. Okay, I don't like that. It just doesn't. And your general. Sit well with me. What are your general feelings about the uh, the story? Red Rock and Treasure. Yeah, just generally before I we love, get. Into I love this book. Is it one of your faves? Oh yeah. Okay. This is a great book. Yeah, I think it's very good, Miss L. It's a very great book. And actually, Hergé himself felt that he did a great job in this book for what he considered was a very thin plot. Like, he himself felt like this was, you know, I just stretched it out. Like, this was a very, there wasn't much plot. Mm-hmm. It's most mostly character, most, and as you say, mostly irritating character comedy if you're not into it. But <laughs> but I am. I love it. So sure. I just think it's just great. Like, like, you get, 
you know, this is like the starting point. Not only is this starting point of, you know, what we, what most people think of as the Tintin universe, like the, the four main characters of, of Tintin, Snow White, right. Tintin, Captain Haddock and Calculus. But it's also, we'll talk about it when we're reading the book, but this is also like the beginning of the greatest era of Hergé's art. And if anyone mm-hmm. ever says before they're shot by me, if anyone ever says that, you know, Hergé was only really good when he had the studio behind him, when Bob Demore and Jacques Martin, people like that, were working for him. Which was when? Which was a little, little later, like okay. in the 50s, 60s. I mean, they helped. That's not, that's not to say they didn't help and that they didn't. But when you re- look at this book, when you look at the art in this book, you can see exactly what they were basing what they did on what he had already done before them. The art in this book is so good. It's so great. It's so fantastic. The only problem in this book is there's some places where the color doesn't work very well because mm-hmm. he was not a very good colorist. And he always admitted that. That's why he looked for, that's why he was tr- trying to get, um, uh, Edgar Jacobs to work for him because he knew that his color, coloring wasn't his, wasn't his strong suit. He preferred to work in black and white. But, um, you know, he obviously acknowledged that in order for these books to sell, they had to be in color. And so he rather lamely colored them. But uh, he did not, for uh, the shooting star, for instance, he actually recolored later because he just felt like his coloring, no good. So, um, yeah. And I'm, again, I I understand you love calculus. Here's, (laughs) here's, I think, why calculus became my tipping point on this, where it was just like, I'm not on board. But in the future, perhaps I will be. Because it's the adventures of Tintin and five comedy relief characters. Yeah. You know, and it's, and, and there I think the balance just got too much. You've got Snowy, who's a comedy relief character. He's mm-hmm. your silent, kind of Harpo Marxy yeah. kind of guy, fall down, drink a thing of booze. You've got your, uh, rough and tumble, macho, uh, you know, haddock, uh, comedy. And, and this yeah. one, we have, uh, Thompson and Thompson become full out idiots. Like before, it, it's very similar to if you watch Peter Sellers uh, as Clouseau in Shot in the Dark. Yeah. Uh, in Shot in the Dark, he's actually a competent detective that just gets into some slapstick situations and falls yeah. down and leans on something and slips and it's fine. And by the time you get to the later Pink Panther movies, he is a complete idiot. Yeah. Like full on uh, disassociated with life, uh, you know, could not feed himself, mm-hmm. you know, but a fairly good fighter. And can do some of his job. And in this one, uh, you got Thompson and Thompson, who before this seemed like competent police officers that would just once in a while get distracted and fall down some stairs. They let a guy almost die from, because you know, we've got to pump the air all the time. You know, it's just like, okay, now you're just full out dummies. Fair enough. And so we now we got all those co- comedy characters. And yeah. now we got Calculus, who's another comedy relief character. And there's just a bit of me I that's would... just like, let Tintin do this on his own. I would disagree know. with you. I would disagree with you on Calculus. Calculus is not a comedy relief character. Like he's not a comedy character himself. His hearing problem does cause comedy, but it's between the comedy is Captain Haddock, not Professor Calculus. It's Haddock reacting to Calculus. Calculus is actually perfectly competent as an inventor, and you know his but uh, piecing in- together of the of the the manuscripts of discovering that yeah. Marlin Spike is the ancestral home of, of Captain Haddock's family. Right. Those are all perfectly competently done. Like his, he himself is not that much of a, a joke character. Except every time he speaks. No, or has even, speaks to, yeah, no, every but, time he speaks. What does he say? Every, every 
thing he says yeah. is a joke because it's someone saying something to him. Yeah. You know, uh, have you got to go? I'm not going to a show. Yeah. Every one of them. Yeah. Every single one of them is that. So he is a joke character because he's just telling jokes through the whole thing. They do but it's verbal a- jokes through the whole thing. He's competent. You're right. But so is Haddock, even though Haddock is clearly a joke character. And Snowy has competence and will save uh, Tintin's life and do amazing things as well. But he's clearly a, a comedy relief character. And up to this point... The, the Thompson and Thompson were competent characters when it came to some things, and then other Perhaps. times were not. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. I mean, we, the germ of their character is still there. I mean, their ridiculous, you know, dress, their, I don't know. Yeah. it's. It, I don't feel like... It's something to, like... To Ereshe, this was, to him, this is the perfect point that he reached okay. in, in the stories. Partly because, you know, the the limit for him was, you know, he really couldn't do the globetrotting adventures the same way he did before. So that a- a- aspect of Tintin was, was, he couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he needed to fill the pages with, with, you know, comedy, with character comedy, with, and so his, what he did was introduce characters. I mean, every book we've read has had a funny, uh, almost every book we've read has had a absent-minded professor, whether it's Ellenbeck yep. or Fossil or whomever, you know, sarcophagus, we've had these, these characters. Calculus is kind of the ne plus ultra of of the absent-minded professor. And it's not even that that he's an absent-minded professor. He's a hard-of-hearing person Mm -hmm. who can't be bothered to put an ear trumpet in his damn ear and hear what you're saying. Well, he's beyond hard-of-hearing. Like, I I get that's the main joke. Yeah. But he's also the absent-minded professor because if he did pay a lick of attention, he'd see what people were were screaming at him. It's like, well, they clearly aren't happy. Uh, I can read emotions on faces. So he can't. There's there's other issues this guy has. That's just the most obvious. One. Haddock, you know, it's hard to tell with Haddock when well, he's angry at, or when he's happy. At one point, and we'll get to it in the story, but he writes uh, yeah. something physically down, and you go like, why don't you bring a pad with you and just show it to him? <laughs> I was, Clearly he can I was read. Thinking that too. Problem solved immediately. Yeah. I was thinking that too. Okay, we can just get into it. But anyway, that's my... Th- it, it gets into lethal weapon pro- uh, territory here where if you know the lethal weapon lethal series... Weapon three. It, no, lethal Weapon 4. Oh, sorry, 4. Yeah, uh, that's right. it's, you've got another comedy relief character, and now another one, and now we brought in another... Co- and you realize that off the top, Mel Gibson was the comedy relief character, right? You know, so we're comedy relief on comedy relief on comedy relief on comedy relief. There's only so much you can take on that. But that's my personal take on it. Maybe you feel differently. If so, I let us know. definitely do. All right. That's why we have message boards. All right. So we're going to start off? Sure. All right. Let's start on page one, just for the heck of it. Let's be for, conventional. For a change? No, no. Actually, we do that every time. All right. So we're going to start off uh, with a gentleman going into the anchor, which looks like a sailor. Maybe it's not a sailor bar, but there seem to be some rough and tumble uh, customers in there. And, I think uh, it's called the anchor. It implies that it's a, a seaside. In fact, if you look out the door, you can see No, the it's sea. definitely a seaside. <laughs> but we do have a fella in a trench coat and hat who doesn't seem to be a sailor. No. Who's there. Uh, so, you know, and, uh, he seems to be drinking a glass of wine. Well, la-dee-da for that guy. <laughs> anyway, yes. the other guys don't like that he's there. And everyone else has hung up their hat and coat, by the way, because they're polite. Mm-hmm. You can see that earlier on, but this guy keeps his hat on and coat on. Rude. Anyway, uh, so, uh, the fellow coming in, it's Bill. So it's Bill and George having a conversation. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, is it either George or Bill? Yeah, there we go. That's right. It's old, uh... It's it's uh, old Bill here who's uh, telling the story of uh, Captain Haddock and Tintin. Uh, they're looking for uh, Red Rackham's treasure. He's spilling the beans. He's talking too loud. He hasn't even had a drink yet. Yeah. And he's uh, saying this, you know, in a in a public uh, sailor bar. Uh, we can see a fella uh, writing this all down. That's the guy with the glass of wine. Yeah. 
a nice glass of brown wine, delicious brown wine. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they notice he's, really, he's just having beer, but in a wine glass. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they're all drinking the same liquid, but in very different glasses. And, uh, and, uh, you know, basically telling the story of, uh, the last, uh, the last story's adventure, what happened with the unicorn and mm-hmm. everything. Uh, then they notice a guy with a hat and the pad, he's listening, so we better shut up. The walls have ears. Yes. So they say. Okay. Uh, cut to the next day, next page. And, uh, Haddock is walking down the street, picks up a paper. Uh, reads it and is not very happy to see the contents of it. So not happy that he's distracted and walks right into a post saying, read the Daily Reporter, which is what he was in fact reading. Yeah. Uh, what's funny here, of course, I like the uh, little joke with the uh, Periscope Cinema playing me that uh, Orson Welles, Orson Welles, and Orson Welles. Oh, it was that a, is a good joke. I it was that. a different, it was a French actor and I read it and I could not find the reference again, but I believe his name was Sasha Guitry, some kind of name like that. That actually, uh, Hergé misspelled in his, when he put it in there as a joke. But, uh, yeah, it's a good, uh, Wells is a good substitute. I think that's also, people would get that. And it made me think of the, uh, Keaton's The Playhouse, where he, which is, you know, where he does the film where he plays all the characters in the film. Okay. Because they use, uh, you know, like multiple exposures. So he can. I'm be, not familiar with this oh, film. It's very good. Okay. He's like an entire orchestra of, of people playing for like a vaude, in a vaudeville theater. He does a minstrel show. He plays all the characters in the minstrel oh, show. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's very I well done. I see this. Well, I like the joke here, too, uh, saying, you know, they're all, all alike, these journalists. You know, <laughs> that's a nice dig when you're in a newspaper. Yeah. Just slamming newspapers. <laughs> Yes, and that Tintin, as in Tintin, a reporter too. Wait a second. Yeah, and then the, yeah, that is the weird thing because the next panel on the next day is journalists. They're always the same. It's like again, yeah, Tintin is a journalist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can we just can we just point out that chronologically, this was the first appearance of the blue sweater in Tintin. Oh, was that like yeah. Haddock's uh, blue sweater? No, of Tintin's blue sweater. Tintin's blue sweater. Yeah. Well, maybe he was influenced by Haddock and his lovely uh, blue yeah. pullover. This was the first appearance of that, which kind of became his standard clothes. If you think back to the other ones, he's often wearing like a brown jacket with, oh, okay. a, with yeah. a tie. This was the first uh, first time. Very good. All right. Do you want to say what's in the newspaper uh, today? Oh, I will, but I've covered it with paper. Let me just take my sticky <laughs> notes off. So uh, we learned about, well, basically we learned that what's going to happen in the story, which is that uh, the Sirius, the ship that uh, Tintin and Haddock have, have uh, what's the word, rented? I guess I don't even know where at least. I, I would Under, hired. Hired. There, is a, there you go. Hired to, uh, they're going out to, to find Rad Rackham's treasure. Uh, so somewhere out there the uh, in the the wreck of the unicorn lies this fantastic treasure no one knows where it is but everyone would like to know so now that everyone knows that about this red rackham's treasure what happens but there's a knock at the door mm-hmm. there's a gentleman in the door who actually claims it's to a be... ring in the doorbell that's true now, actually, here's, my the conf- here's my confusion on that why are there two doorbells exactly i was thinking that too the one is for emergencies okay i don't know i don't really know why it's very odd isn't it and he's a gentleman because he takes off his glove to ring the doorbell it's nice that it's a push doorbell too that's, that's fancy. It is. So, because uh, my grandma, grandpa, and there's there was a twist. You had to twist. Uh, you had to spin it, and it would it would ring the doorbell. You so know what? Weird. It actually looks like the one below is a twist. Yeah. So maybe it is. Maybe you got to twist it once, and then you hit the uh, hit the uh, okay. button. I don't know. Maybe. Listen, this is one of those kind of things that you think no one will know, and then on our message board, sneakydragon.com, uh, someone always goes, 
by the way, by the this way, is, dummies. and it's nice. Yeah, whenever yeah. we mention something like, what's this device? Oh, there was a, it had lemonade in that, and something will send us a picture. Yeah. So, uh, so if uh, your listener knows what the deal is with that doorbell, uh, please do let us know. Please. So, yes, indeed, at the door, uh, there's a gentleman there who presents uh, Tintin with a card, and I like the card. Yeah. Uh, first of all, he's saying, uh, you know, you're going on this treasure hunt. Well, in that case, I will be taking half of your treasure. Uh, <laughs> and the, here's my card, and it's a card with no phone number on it, no yeah. address, yeah. just a name. Just a name. It's a calling card. It is a calling card. Yeah. And that calling card is uh, Red Rackham. Yes, when you visited in the past, this this is a faded into the, the, the dust of the ages, but in the past... We would go visit a person's home and they weren't there. You would leave a calling card behind. Oh, is that right? That announced that you had been there. It didn't have a phone number. It didn't have a, an address. It was just your name. Mm. So the person knew that you called. Very nice. So uh, this uh, startles uh, Captain Haddock so much he drops his pipe out of his mouth. Uh, and yes. uh, Tinson says, what if I'm not mistaken, sir, your name is simply Rackham. Red is just a nickname. In which case you have, uh, I see no connection between you and Red Rackham the pirate. Ring goes the door. <laughs> Uh, Tintin opens the door, and in fact, there are many people there yeah. who all are claiming to be descendants of Red Rackham, yeah. including uh, a gentleman who is not the correct race for that. <laughs> and you might be going, is he questionably drawn? Maybe. 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 And, uh, you know, take that with a grain of salt as the time and whatever. Uh, one of the guys there is a... a pom- I like that he has a, a family tree, one of the characters. It yeah, is I like actually that. a tree. Yeah, it's a family tree. He's Not got that he's a- holding a tree, but that it's a paint. <laughs> if you actually had a tree. Picture of a tree. This is a tree yeah. that was from your family. Uh, yeah, a lot of people have documents, family trees. Uh, a very nicely drawn uh, group of people all wearing hats. All seeming like jerks. Uh, Tintin uh, shuts them out, shoves them out the door. Uh, with uh, with uh, the captain saying, leave it to me. All right, you're all descendants of Red Rackham. All right, well, then I'm uh, uh, descended from Sir Francis uh, Haddock, who killed Red Rackham in single combat and blew up his ship. And so, uh, you know, this gets me fighting mad. And so here we go. And they all run away from him because he's a scary man. A fantastically drawn scene there, the running away from him. Yeah, this is, this, this is all really good silent film uh, style uh, shenanigans here. It's great. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, uh, speaking of people that look like from a silent movie, uh, Thompson and Thompson are going up the stairs and get trampled by this mob. <laughs> Very nicely done. Yeah. And you think that's enough of a joke, but uh, Haddock throws down uh, the documents of the people. Uh, a couple and, of giant uh, tomes. It's a big tomes that are about to land on Thompson and Thompson's hats. Those hats suffer such abuse yes. uh, through this series. Yeah. I think they would learn just to buy some armored hats. Oh my gosh, that would be uh, that would make a lot of sense. Uh, Start wearing helmets, you guys. So the bell rings again. Uh, open the door, and it is Thompson and Thompson with their hats shoved down over their heads yeah. from the impact. Yeah, Erge obviously enjoyed drawing Haddock pulling off people's hats that are stuck in their head. Yes, because it's a pretty common theme through these stories at this point. Now I want to throw this over to you because it's the introduction of one of your favorite characters. So please. Well, I mean, one of my—I mean, one of the great characters of Tintin. That's all I have to say. I don't say one of my favorite characters. Oh, but is it one character. of your favorite characters? No, well, I mean, I think on the okay. past show you may have said it was one of your favorite characters. Am I? Am I, don't I correct? Know. I don't don't know about that. Let's roll the tape back. Let's and take roll a listen. the tape. Let's let's just sit back now and listen to all the shows we've done. <laughs> um, yes. So the the doorbell rings again. That mysterious doorbell with the double buttons, and uh, singing the door is a is a man. Uh, a bald man with a little ring of hair and uh, asking to speak to Tintin. And then uh, 
of course, we start getting the joke now that because uh, Haddock asked him, you know, doubt happened. Your name, no doubt, happens to be Red Rackham. And of course, Calculus says, yes. He says, no, I'm asking if you're called Rackham. Oh, what's your name? He yells at him. He goes, please speak a little louder. I'm a, I'm a, a little hard of hearing, which is the understatement of this book, by the way. Um, now, uh, Calculus, in French, his name is uh, Trifon Tournesol. Trifon is a... Uh, was a name, a first name of a handyman who did some work for Hergé, who forgot to give him a bill for the job. So for some reason that stick in his mind as a person who was absent-minded, so he used the name Trifon. And then Tournesol is uh, French for sunflower. So okay. that's his last name is Sunflower in French. And if that's appropriate or not, I don't know. I don't know if he had like an idea of, you know, a head full of seeds or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what he was going for there at all, or or if... Uh, sunflower has some idiomatic meaning that it, that we don't know in some sort of French idiom. I just I don't know. So that's the name, though. In it is a it is a you know TT name. It is Trifon Trinosol, just like it's Cuthbert Calculus in yeah. English. The calculus implies more about like he's a scientist. We know he's a scientist because his name is a math thing. Whereas in uh, in French, it's really unrelated at all to like science at all. It's this is a, a strange reference to sunflower, and that may be a reference to the model for for uh, calculus, who was an actual scientist named Auguste Picard, who was the inventor of the uh, bathysphere, the deep water, okay. like the ball that would go really deep underwater. And he also was the first person to go up into the stratosphere in a similar device that was attached to a hot air balloon. And so he was a well-known, absent-minded professor type. And was very, but he was very tall. He was very thin and tall with, you know, hair that kind of haloed his head. And so I, I wonder if that was kind of the, the germ of, of sunflower. It's hard to know. The reason that, uh, calculus is not, uh, super tall is because it would just throw out the, it would throw out the, the panels because yeah. you'd have to have these long panels to, to have, to have this tall character. So he becomes this short little man. Yeah. They're nicely, uh, nicely designed characters too. They all balance each other out. Well, and I've got, I've got oh, a sorry. weird, I was going to say, I got a weird theory as to why in this, uh, on this page, okay. he can understand Tintin and he cannot understand the captain at all. Okay. Here's my theory. Sure. Uh, it's that, uh, he is actually, he's deaf. Basically we've got that thing, but Tintin does not have a beard. Yeah. So he can read Tintin's lips. Okay. Whereas the captain, his, his lips are covered by the beard. Yeah. Uh, Thompson and Thompson both have giant mustaches. They cover their lips. He can't understand them. The only character he can understand is Tintin because he can clearly read his lips. I would also point out that he can hear when he wants and when he doesn't that's want. One, that's one way to go. He, he does not hear. Yep. So, you know, he hears Tintin fine now. But later when Tintin is not interested in, in his uh, shark submarine, he becomes very hard of hearing. Okay, well, let's take a look if he looks Tintin directly in the face in those ones. So, um, yeah, that's right, because the comics are such a moment-by-moment -moment, uh, way accurate way of seeing what's happening. Uh, one thing I'll just say about Calculus is, slash Turnosol is that, uh, you know, it's a, you know, I understand what you're saying. It is a problem when you have too many uh, characters that are, like, too many joke characters. I agree with you. I mean, that would be my complaint about Lethal Weapon 4 is that it's just too many characters. The problem with the, all the comedy relief characters in Lethal Weapon 4, more than there's so many comedy relief characters, is they're in no way funny. There's a lot of people who aren't funny at all mm -hmm. being comedy characters. Whereas in this book, most of the business that Calculus and Haddock are doing together is great. It's hilarious. So it's a lot of fun. You know, there's no time where you're kind of like, oh, groan. You know, you're always laughing at, you know, Haddock's... In Frustration is infuri you know, how infuriated he is and how completely uh, 
you know, and the thing about calculus is that I was trying to say it one way. I'll try and say it a different way because I couldn't think of the word. Um, the thing about calculus is he never loses his, um, oh my gosh, why can't I think of dignity? You know, he's always, he never becomes like a, a figure of fun that you're making fun of him because he can't hear. Mm-hmm. He's always dignified, you know, and even when there's times in the story where he's mad, you know, because someone, because he's misunderstood something, you know, like the scene where he's, thinks that Tintin's gone for a row and then he discovers that Tintin was underwater and you see him like trying to puzzle out why the captain lied to him you know why did he say uh, Tintin was rowing when he was clearly underwater like you know this thing's a, but he never you know it's this he's never like a character that you would laugh at he doesn't become right. pathetic in his well because part the, of hearing. we've got the pathetic characters who are the guys who just had things fall on their heads <laughs> so it wouldn't make sense to have a character that would that would be like that as well yeah and and Haddock you know for all he was also a comedy relief character He's the heart of the story, and I don't know if I mentioned that before, in that when things go wrong, he's the one who'd cry. He's yeah. the one who would just pound the table and go, mm-hmm. it's, life's not fair, it's so frustrating, and when a good thing happens, he's the one who's the first one to dance with joy. Exactly. So, you know, you need that I, guy in a, yeah. in a story like and this. And I think Hergé recognized the weakness in Tintin that he couldn't change at this no. point, which is that Tintin is too perfect. Like, Tintin is too uh, much of a scout. He's too 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 valorous too giving, too brave, too optimistic. Mm-hmm. Every all his positive characteristics make for a boring character. Uh, without that, yeah, without just go please continue. Sorry, with yeah, without having a haddock there to act as a foil to to his optimism, to his you know, general good nature, you know. I mean, we even in the crowd with the golden claws where haddock is essentially like this ogre stumbling around and smashing things like a monster. Uh, Tintin is remarkably forbearing, you know, like it's just at any point he could have just abandoned him and, and gone on without him, but he doesn't, you know, he carries him through, you know, and it's, you know, what Haddock needed then and what Calculus gives is a character for for Haddock to react to. It's not, it's just not enough to have Haddock by himself is getting angry like he's some sort of ogre you know like you just yeah. don't want that well, anymore so you ang- need this yeah he can't get angry at the thompsons because then that's no. sad because yeah. like come on he, yeah. they just fell and they hurt themselves that's right he can get angry at the guy that doesn't know he's getting angry <laughs> exactly. so that's okay that works perfectly it, it works yeah. now something one, right. one last thing is and that and erge agreed with you uh in the sense that eventually the thompsons will f- be phased out of the stories as main characters as main They'll still appear, but they won't have, they'll be like Bianca Castafiore. They'll have their cameos mm. and then they'll go away, you know, and that's going to come through time. He'll realize himself that he's just too many characters to juggle, too much comedy relief, and he will kind of phase that out. Yeah. They're going to have their moment of glory. Yeah. It's going to come and then. Well, they can push a story forward if it's a crime story because mm-hmm. they can go, we're here looking for smugglers. Yeah. Oh, great. Now Tintin's going to run into smugglers and we've yeah. justified why they're smugglers. Uh, with the captain, I'm going for treasure. Well, that makes sense. He's a captain. He would go for treasure. His relative was, yeah. you know, this. That all makes sense. And, yeah. you know, and uh, the scientist guy is good for pushing things along. You know, uh, we need a, it. It feels like um, maybe now I've forgotten what I was going to say. Well, oh, I know what it was. Okay. Uh, you run into sitcom danger here in that... Uh, you've. It is like a sitcom where you have your main character. Again, we're talking a lot about movies and TV shows here, but like say a Mary Tyler Moore. Okay. Uh, you know she, she's kind of the, she's the main character and she's a little bland. She's fine. Yeah. She's interesting. She drives the story along, but everyone around her are the crazy characters. Yeah. They push things forward. Mm-hmm. But the problem with a sitcom is, say it's a sitcom and and this one Mary might find a buried treasure. Yeah. Maybe like this. Yeah. She won't because we've got to reset the pieces for the next. 
uh, episode and have everyone be the same. Yeah. So the problem, if Tintin alone is going looking for a buried treasure, you know Tintin can't find a buried treasure because the next episode can't be Tintin the millionaire sitting in his mansion and then like maybe I'm going to go after some smugglers. You go, that can't happen. So who cares that Tintin's going after a treasure? Whereas the captain, yeah, it's possible. And I don't want to say what happens in this story, but something can happen, and that's Why don't you want good. to see? Because we're going to talk about it anyway. We're going to talk about it in a bit, but people might be but following that was the, the story as a story. But that was the purpose of the story, was to create a place that Haddock, you know, to create this situation where Haddock was immensely wealthy, mm-hmm. and that he had this kind of center oh, there of... there we go. There's the spoiler then. He gets wealthy by the end. Center, center of operations, right. and that Tintin... And he could then have adventures that aren't always nautical. Right. Because it doesn't matter. The captain is no longer tied to the sea. He's no longer having to work. You know, so, you know, this story is, does have like a, a kind of ulterior motive, you know, to create the situation. But it makes, it's interesting in that it, the characters do evolve in this one in mm-hmm. a way that Tintin is the same character through all the rest of the stories. Yeah. You know, there's no real difference between where he's at. He's walking in the park with Snowy, sees a thing, that starts an adventure by the end. Maybe he's having a nice time in a hotel, but no big deal. He's the same guy. He's going to go back to his same apartment. It's all the same. Yeah. This this one actually has some sort of character growth, and it's exciting, you know, to see like, oh, things have changed, mm-hmm. but not in a way that destroys Tintin. Things that things have changed in a way that actually like leads you to even more stories in the future, which is which yeah. is great. I think that's why this is an important uh, an important volume. Plus, it's great. Also, it's great. Sure. All right. So continue. So uh, they they calculus, of course. Uh, he by basically by pretending to not hear Tintin now. Well, that's your theory. Because he's looking right at him in the picture, by the way. That's your theory. So uh, Tintin is yelling at him, saying that he has no time to go and see Calculus's invention. Calculus says, great, I'm glad you agree, let's go. So he goes. Tintin, of course, follows in. You see Tintin is angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, you know, he says, uh, Calculus wants to thank him for agreeing to come. He says, don't mention it. And he goes, no, no, Calculus, Cuthbert Calculus. So, you know, he... His selective hearing is amazingly good. Uh, then we come to his apartment, which is this, uh, you know, gadget-filled apartment. Love the all apartment. These, yeah, all these kind of strange mich- devices with pipes leading all kinds of different places. You have no idea where. Uh, so, you know, some sort of giant machine that merely powered things. Yeah, steam. And then, you know, and of course you see the various sort of uh, chemistry sets of the bottles and whatnot, the flasks and the burners and all those sort of things. And then. We discover that one of these giant machines is uh, for putting uh, bubbles into soda water. <laughs> but the machine itself seems a little, I don't know, isn't that natural? But anyway, and then there's this box with brushes on a, on what looks like a like a water wheel. Uh, I'm going to say there was a little weird personal thing there yeah. where uh, that's my new device for putting bubbles in soda water. I, I bought this book. Like I was reading this book at the same time that uh, my wife and I actually bought a device that does that. <laughs> So we're looking at the counter like, hey! But it I imagine pre- it's it much was, smaller. It was predicted. Yeah. It, it's much smaller. But it was the same color. <laughs> and then, uh, then of course, he shows his clothes brushing machine. And Haddock's very impressed. And then we get cut to him talking about his latest invention. And then we hear a lot of ooh, ouch, off, er. colorful stars. We cut to Haddock's legs flailing in this uh, clothes brushing machine. He sp- spat out the other side. And of course, much like be, have an explosion, he is his clothes are all tattered. But this would make sense, yeah, that he's being b- brushed by by he this was machine. Brutally brushed. Yes, it's by the way, that would not work like then thing. because it would tear your clothes apart. Apparently, 
Well, apparently it's much, if you're wearing them, it's not as efficient as if they're laying them. Yeah. I do like that uh, Thompson and Thompson are enjoying someone else being the butt of some physical comedy. <laughs> yes. Really, And even Snowy is like uh, enjoying seeing him come out there. Whoa. <laughs> Normally, this would have been me at the beginning that's of this, right. like, these stories. Like, that's right. Things have happened. Like uh, Haddock dropped his pipe. It did not land on Snowy's tail. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone goes through a clothes messing machine. It, he does not fall into to Snowy as he comes out of the machine. Snowy is feeling very happy about this. And then uh, Haddock then, of course, he's being yelled at by, or he's yelling at Calculus, who, uh, of course, points out to him that, yes, that is, in fact, a clothes brushing machine. And then he shows uh, this bed that he's just invented. It's a Murphy bed that uh, goes into the wall and has a little handle that that uh, uh, pops it out. And, of course, he drops it right down onto the Thompson's hats. Now, my question about that is, Murphy beds were around at that point. They I, would, I would think so, but then not... he didn't invent not, the wall bed, But not automatic he? ones that, you know, you just press at a, a level? Per, per, Push down, oh, pull down a lever, and it, it comes out of the and wall. And second, fussy pants uh, criticism about that. You got plenty of room for a bed. Don't worry about it. Look at it. Look at all that room. <laughs> well, you got nothing around the bed. Yeah, I'm talking about he crowded space. He should have put a bit of business. It's in like the way. here's where he put all his stuff. Was right by the entrance. <laughs> like that place is just packed to busting. You just walk a couple of feet. Now nothing but space. Yeah, pace it out. Maybe that's where all the uh, outlets are. Eric should have put a little bit in the foreground. Uh, so then. Then uh, he closes the bed and closes the Thompsons, who are now resting on the bed to get their hats pulled off their head, because Hergé loved to draw that, apparently. And then Calculus raises the bed up with the Thompsons on the bed, and then he's a little he's a little bit uh, dismayed that they're playing playing such silly pranks in his. Uh, yeah, this isn't deafness. There, something's just something just is askew and is is noodle. That's fair enough. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think I think, I think in modern day he'd be medicated for this, but back then he was just an eccentric scientist. Whatever. Uh, so now he goes. He, he's going to show them the thing that he's invented that he wants them to to see, which is uh, a submarine that is painted to look like a shark because mm. he's worried about the sharks in the area where well there might be sharks in the area. We don't know where they're going yet. He doesn't know where they're going, but there could be sharks. Yeah. Where they're going to look for this wreckage? Is there an issue with sharks attacking submarines? That's my only thing with that. It's like it's a very cool looking thing, but yeah. is that a problem? Like, do sharks attack submarines, and would that mm, be a thing? No, oh, yeah. but they do attack sea divers. Yes, that's true. But it you've so just... this device make puts puts it safe. I, I think that the, I think that the painting part of it is just because it's neat. <laughs> I think that's what Airjay was going for there. And like we said earlier in, in the show, it was actually based on a real submarine. Right. Uh, it was an American submarine that he happened to see in a German magazine. This. Uh, Probably a pre pre war magazine that showed this um, the American submarine, and in fact, um, Fabien Cousteau, this I think he's a great grandson of Jacques Cousteau. Mm-hmm. He and his team they actually made uh, a shark submarine to actually dive down with sharks. It's an articulated one. It's gray. It's not painted like this. Yeah. But yeah, it was. Uh, he used it, and they filmed hours of of great white sharks. Oh wow! And they were able to kind of mingle with them and not be obvious. That I could see, yeah. Yeah. I like the the shark's got a big smile on his face, too. Yeah, that's right. With big, straight, white teeth. <laughs> no fangs there at all. No and, shark just... And then since um, Calculus is an absent-minded professor, he obviously has forgot to fix some bolts uh, in his... to stabilize his shark because he sits in it to show it off and it crashes to the floor in two pieces and uh, he thinks it's sabotage. But I think the sort of sabotage is called... Forgetting to do something. Sure. Which I often do. That's the kind of sabotage I like to do, too. Um, so then, of course, they're not interested in it. But he's like, of course you're interested in it. And they're like, no, we don't want it. He goes, great. I'll have a, a smaller version built for you in eight days. And we'll, I'll deliver it, you know. And then uh, then we see them late. 
some days later, we get the little uh, title along the top. Um, we see Haddock and Tintin walking along, and they see for sale a complete diving suit. Right, because Haddock has been looking for a diving suit and has not unearthed one. Yeah. Uh, but did not walk down this street. Well, because there it is. Yeah. Sometimes uh, it takes a while. Yeah. He's very surprised. I like that Haddock says the great snakes now. A little of Tintin's rubbing off on, on him there. <laughs> so we go down and well, we see... Well, he probably said Sapristi in the French version. Probably. And that's well, the replacement for They that. walk down and yet another person that likes putting a lot of stuff by their front door. Yeah. yeah. And the, there's some uh, beautiful uh, things here. There's a drawing uh, of from a cartoon that obviously Hergé saw and used for as his as his as kind of his model for this in in that case it's a bar it's like a kind of like a you know like a sailor's bar and it's full of all kinds of gewgaws and and nautical knickknacks and so Hergé just sort of took that drawing and kind of transposed it into this scene uh, it's interesting to see actually no i like the uh i like the mermaid uh, that's in the uh, case there. Mm-hmm. Uh, creepy, creepy looking mermaid. Yeah, because it actually looks like a manatee. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, so, and again, the person who's working at the store, uh, he's great looking. That's a great character. I like him leaning forward, his big yeah. beard. Yeah. Kind of beard that's actually very popular nowadays. <laughs> you know, and uh, he's uh, giving them a warning, which is, beware, young fella. It's nice he's saying that to Haddock. Mm-hmm. It's nice to hear that sure. when you're an older guy. Yeah. Uh, beware, young fella, beware. Money is the root of all evil. You know, because you intend to go treasure hunting. I can read it in your face. And uh, and uh, Haddock's like, oh, my face. Let me see. And then he's uh, horrified by what he sees. What does he see? We turn the page. Oh, but he's looking in a concave mirror. Yeah. And uh, then he sees a convex mirror. And, oh, I understand how mirrors work. That's great. Uh, reaches for another mirror. Breaks it. Yeah. Seven years bad luck. Yeah, there's no explanation why there are these mirrors in the store. But uh, I guess a collection of mirrors. What the heck? Mm-hmm. Nautical equipment and mirrors. And an ex- that's kind of an expensive mirror, the one he broke. It was two pounds, which, you know, back then, it's kind of a pricey uh, mm-hmm. pricey hand mirror. If you say so. You don't think so? Uh, as a child reading these, I had no idea what any of this money meant. So, okay. You know. Fair enough. Well, listen, here's the thing. If a diving suit is 10 pounds, yeah. think how much a diving suit, a full diving suit would yeah, cost. That's true. So you're thinking a fifth of that for a mirror? <laughs> There you go. Just, uh, you know, you do, you do the math. It's all, well, mirrors were really expensive in the past, you know. Oh, that's right. Because they were. Well, why were they so expensive? Because they were glass silver. was hard to... Silver-backed. All right. They're actually more expensive than windows. It was much rarer to have, have mirror in your house than, than windows. Okay. In the past. Sure, in the past. Yeah. Nowadays, we live nowadays, in just a crazy... Yeah. Well, nowadays, i got a phone. I can take 10,000 pictures of myself. Yeah, it's exactly. Nothing. It's great. And yet a diving suit still costs... A lot of moolah. A lot of moolah. Yeah. All right, so the guy's giving them the warning. They're giving him the blow-off. We don't care. We're going to do it anyway. All right, well, yeah, you won't find any treasure. Meh, he's that guy in the story. <laughs> Next day, yeah. we're at the Sirius. So we cut to a, a very nicely drawn ship. And obviously, as we said this at the beginning, Hergé went to the trouble oh, yeah. of researching. You could just call this the SS research. He went to, <laughs> yeah, he went to Ostend. He drew yeah. trawlers. He went to a, 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 sh- a shipwright there. A company called Joel uh, Joseph Bowl and Sons, and he got like plans, and then he he acquired a uh, scale model of the ship. So yeah, he had so he could just sit there and look at it while he drew it. So it was, he was very being very exacting, much like with the unicorn, where he had a model of that as well. So uh, Haddock's in, a, in bad spirits. He says he's uh, ill, a flu. I expect. I've been thinking. Uh, well, I'll put it in a nutshell. I'm not going. What? You can't be serious. No, perfectly serious. I'm not superstitious, but to break a mirror, even a voyage, nah, I'm not going. 
then uh, Thompson and Thompson show up and give some more bad news. It turns yeah. out Max Bird, bad guy from the last uh, story, mm-hmm. uh, Unicorn, uh, has escaped. And Haddock's, ah, what I tell you? Another thing that bothers one the only thing that bothers me in this story is this is this element of the story. Tell me why. I just don't I don't like the dangling plot points. I just do not like that. You want it to be a clean. If you're going to introduce a an element. You have to you have to have a some sort of payoff for that. You can't say Max Bird escaped and then that's it. <laughs> okay. Why why bring it up at all? I mean I know it's I know it's a reason to have the the uh, Thompsons eventually join the voyage. And essentially, because Hergé needed someone to run the pump, and he didn't want to draw like two nobodies doing that job, he wanted to have somebody that we knew yeah. they could have some fun with that in that situation. But other than that, it really, it's really just lay, it lays there. It's just a, it's what I like to call the running bathtub. You know, when you put the running bathtub into something, you need to pay it off. You cannot, or the overflowing, sorry, the overflowing yeah. bathtub. If you put an overflowing bathtub into a situation, you cannot just leave it unmentioned for the rest of this of the. The movie or book or whatever you're doing. I will agree with you. All right. So uh, Captain Haddock now gets a letter. It turns out just, from just a sign. I, just, sorry, Go ahead. just a sign. I think that still Erge was writing from by the seat of his pants. That I, he plotted them to a degree, but he still was, you know, not completely 100 uh, percent set in the story. So you know, there's elements because he, he is doing this as I think. You know, I, I'm sure you figured this out by now if you if you hadn't listened to the previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a daily strip that's yeah. done usually three panels at a time. Yeah. So. Yeah, he's making it up as he goes along with the, a plot. Yeah. But, yeah. He has, like, an ending point in mind. Yeah. And he knows what's going to happen in some parts of the story. But, you know, obviously here he's thinking, well, this would make a good kind of situation where, you know, Max Bird is trying to sabotage the situation and blah, blah, blah. But then probably as he got more into the story and he was enjoying, you know, the – the because, uh, you know, Calculus was – Actually, was just a one-off. He wasn't supposed to become a, a, a continuing character. But as he started the story and he started having this interaction between Captain and, and Calculus, and it probably was enjoying that most of all in this, as he was doing the story, that he forgot about Max Bird. There's no way to fit it into the story at that point because you he was just, you know, so just having a rocking good time with the hard-of-hearing professor and the infuriated Captain that it just, you know, there's no way to fit it in. So yeah. it, it got dropped, but it still bothers me. So what we're getting on these on these two full pages is all the things that could possibly, possibly go wrong. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one one more thing. Doctor's uh, note uh, yeah. to the captain saying, I've considered your uh, case and conclude that your illness is due to uh, poor liver condition. So here's your uh, diet. Uh, it's uh, strictly forbidden. All alcoholic beverages. And in case you don't know what alcohol is, uh, Captain, and I think he does, uh, in brackets, wine, beer, cider, spirits, cocktails. And there's a comma, so it goes on. We're just seeing yes. a part of it. What I like here is that it's Dr. Leach, which is like, you know, kind of a good standby. Dr. Com- a-, a. Leach. Dr. A. Leach, a good comedy name, standby name for a doctor. In the French version, it's Dr. Domier, uh, yeah. which was a play on Hergé's actual doctor, whose name was Dr. Domerie. Okay. So he just kind of twisted the name a little bit. Just as sort of a shout out, hey. You're my doctor. Now, is this another thing uh, mm-hmm. that could also be Archibald Bleach? Because it's A. You're thinking Cary Grant? Yeah. No. Well, I'm just saying. It works for that. I think it could be, but I don't think so. All right. Just would work. <laughs> I know it would work. All but right. I think it's more A-Leech is in the sense of 
a doctor. Okay. Who Ill. else took that in a? It's something in a. It was in a comedy film, and someone used the name Archibald Leach. Why do I think it's John Cleese? But like, uh, used the name Archibald Leach as a pseudonym or something in uh, in something in the in, in a movie. Hmm. We'll look that up yes. another time. <laughs> yes. So anyway, thank you for bringing up that overflowing bathtub that we will not pay off. <laughs> no, but you you know the device you're listening to this on has access to the internet. Look up Archibald Leach. You'll see there's something else there. So oh. anyway, and by the way, that's a nice bit of trivia if you didn't know uh, his uh, his real name. So uh, yes, indeed, calculus shows up. Can't come aboard, says Haddock. Uh, we're not interested in your machine. Tomorrow? No, not tomorrow, never. Today? Good. I'll go fetch it at once. Yes. So finally, uh, the sensible, sensible Captain Haddock, having had enough of this nonsense, uh, grabs a pen, writes on the wall, we are not interested in your machine. Uh, and uh, Calculus's hat flies up in the air in shock. <laughs> and there it goes. Yes. Well then. Br- so, brilliant, in fact. Right. We get a, a nice uh, little extra bit of uh, business there with uh, the captain. You know, he's uh, lighting his pipe, has a match going while he's having a conversation with Thompson and uh, burning his uh, burning his hand. And the match not going down and landing on Snowy's tail, that's, which, again, it would normally. That's right. That's another good thing. But the other part of that that we should mention is that, well... Haddock was dealing with calculus. Tintin has laid a trap for Captain Haddock, and that he's told Tom the Thompsons that Captain Haddock is afraid to go on the trip. Mm. So when he comes back, Tintin himself does not have to, you know, prod yeah. the captain to go on this trip. He merely has to be told that he's afraid by the Thompsons for him to react on the to go to the other extreme. And no, I'm I'll show you I'm who's afraid. I'm going on this journey no matter what happens. That's so, yeah. right. So yes, you can see uh Tintin kind of looking a little, little, uh, a little sly. smug. Yeah, yeah. he knows smug. what he's doing. He it feels like with Snowy that the uh, Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals was on site for this, uh, <laughs> this one. And, uh, no and, animals uh, were harmed. No animals this. were harmed at the end. Yeah, just like we're not letting uh, Snowy get hurt in this one. We we saw some of your earlier work with uh, parrots biting his tail. We don't like this. So now we're off. The boat is uh, oh, some water. See? Yeah, you like the water. We Beautiful all know that. Water. Dave enjoys uh, Hergé's water very, very much. Oh yeah. Uh, at last, they're on their way, uh, says Tintin. There you go. And Not uh, only do I enjoy his, his the water, I just love him drawing <laughs> the boats at sea. I think mm-hmm. he really, by this point, he was really good at it. He'd done it so often right. through these last few books. And I always like mentioning you spent time as a fisherman, so you have been to sea. I have been to sea, yeah. and I also know how scary some of the sequences are in some of these stories. I just, I'm aware of the consequences. And which you is still called, like water. Which is called death. Okay. Uh, of uh, waves washing you off of a ship. Ugh. That's you, the end. You know what? I think you should stay safe uh, in podcast territory where we're mm-hmm. away from. We are still, you know, in Vancouver. We're close to water. Yeah. But I think we're I think we're safe uh, here. Uh, we're in high ground. Yes. All right. So Tintin and Haddock are having a conversation. Uh, uh, you know, there's a radio message. Uh, Tintin reads it. Port commander to captain of the Sirius. Reduce speed. Motorboat coming out to you. Well, what can this mean? And it turns out it's Thompson and Thompson. Yes. We're there to protect them. Yes, from that dangling plot point, Max Bird. <laughs> so they've come on board. That'd be a great name for a character, dang, dangling plot point. So yeah, so they're they're been given the MacGuffin, I guess, in this case, is to the the uh, thing to get them onto the uh, onto the boat. I mean, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not gonna. <laughs> you don't sound like it's fine. I'm not gonna complain. I mean, the story's so great that I'm I'm willing to overlook this one minor thing that just kind of irks me about when oh, stories. Right. But but you know, I guess. If I'm going to justify it, it is that by saying this, you do give a sense of possible 
problems and we'll be soon be dealing with a stowaway and who is a stowaway we you know it could be oh, max bird so you don't know you've well, set Dave, up the Dave, situation we've got a problem bigger problem right now which is someone is stealing biscuits <laughs> so the, the well that's the beginning the, of the the, the, the stowaway i know so. but knock it off or people don't know johnny spoiler I think, pants i hope they do Why are oh they my gosh anyway maybe a lot of people do they okay. listen to us tell the story okay. and then they read it afterward okay. so uh the uh ship's uh cook Upset, someone's stealing biscuits. We see a very guilty-looking Snowy hiding yeah. there. All right. Well, Tintin well, says we're... Tintin is yelling his name, which, yeah. if you're a dog, is a good. Is always a good reason to skulk away. And also, Snowy has a history of doing just this. Yes, you that's know, true. He's, uh, he'll eat your spaghetti if you leave it out. You know, but, he will. Uh, but well, he'll he... wear it, actually, to be more honest. Yeah. He'll wear your spaghetti if you leave it out. True. He will... He will eat your ham. He, he, will, will, do... a chick- he will catch a chicken. That's, that's tossed. He will catch it and carry it along the railroad tracks for quite a ways. Yeah. And if there's a giant bone, he's the one to find <laughs> he's it. He's the one who will find it. All right. So uh, t- uh, Tintin yes. goes, look, and we'll take care of this. No, he won't be eating more of your biscuits. Everything's fine. Uh, so we've got Thompson and Thompson uh, going, changing into their nautical outfits. Yeah. Which uh, I'm not sure if they look ridiculous or not, or if that's appropriate. Well, we have heard from a listener from Colin Upton. He wrote and told us that the red pom-pom on the hats is indicative of the French Navy. So I assume that they are some sort of French slash Belgium sailor uniform. Okay. That they're wearing that would have been, that would have, I, because of the Thompsons though, I think that this uniform would have been au courant around the Victorian era. Okay. Like, yeah. I just feel like that they're never quite right with their, with Yeah, their it looks like it, there's some comedy here. By the yeah. way, uh, again, yeah, as you say, thank you to Colin Upton for that information earlier. Colin Upton is a cartoonist as well. Uh, and, uh, worth looking up some of his work. Does a lot of stuff, uh, historical, comedy, autobiographical work. So check him out. Back to the Thompsons who decide to, uh, learn to chew tobacco because all old sea dogs, uh, chew a quid. That's a thing. Yeah. Uh, here, have one of these. Uh, one Thompson gives to the other. They both take a chaw, uh, try to chew it. It's a bit hard, a little difficult. They yeah. have a little chewing issue. Yeah. Uh, then uh, the siren is blown. They are startled, and both of them swallow their tobacco. <laughs> it's okay. It's good. Uh, it's good it's physical good stuff. Back to the but is it, chef. Is it three days worth of gag? That's the question. Uh, sure. Why not? Uh, back to the cook who is upset. Uh, yesterday it was a box of biscuits. A whole chicken has disappeared today. Whoa. And uh, and and Tintin's that wretched dog, Snowy. Where is he hiding, Snowy? Snowy. Uh, can't find Snowy, but we see. But then we see him. It looks like he is chewing on the bones of uh, what could have been a chicken. All right. Well, that that darn Snowy. Anyway, uh, so one thing I think is interesting in, in these scenes is the complete inappropriateness of of Tintin's garb. Like his, why, why is, is he? Why is he wearing a, a trench coat or a Mac? It doesn't. Um, it looks like it's a little cold outside on the sea. Wouldn't it, it does, be cold? But look at look at Haddock. He's wearing like a nice heavy okay, sweater. Okay, but here's the thing about Haddock. Haddock is an old sea dog. Like yeah. Haddock's not going to feel it. Like we've well, had, we have had. He's wearing a heavy sweater. Why isn't Tintin wearing a heavy sweater? Because well, he's got a coat. Oh, yeah. you want Tintin in a big sweater? I just feel like the coat is not that you know great what? for where he's... I like watching that coat billow. I like uh, <laughs> I Tintin in a coat. You know, my favorite thing is Tintin putting on a coat as he runs. Yeah. So I'm pro coat. I guess, I guess you must like that. That's true. All right. So uh, so uh, that evening, uh, uh, the captain is saying to uh, Tintin, good night. Uh, you might want to keep an eye on Snowy. Don't worry. I'll watch him. Off he goes, and uh, we hear uh, the Thompsons fighting with each other. Yeah, uh, he breaks in, and uh, they say, uh, "One of the well, he stole my blanket. He stole my pillow." I was like, "Aren't you ashamed of at your age?" Says Tintin, quarreling over such trifles. 
Now that's all over it. And they're both I love their, I love sore their, ashamed. Yeah, I love their abashedness sore at this moment. Sore ashamed. So good. And now the only adult on the ship says, "Let's. I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> but then, more uh, swears from above. Billions of blistering barnacles. Uh, what's the problem, Captain? Uh, his bottle of whiskey vanished. Ugh. And Tintin's happy about this. Yeah. Saying someone's keeping an eye out for your health. It's like, oh, oh, okay, you can laugh, but if I catch the crook, he's in for a rough time. All right, look, I'm going to investigate this in the morning, says Tintin. I'm really tired of dealing with you jerks. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> so uh, we follow the captain now. Uh, as he uh, goes into a room where there's supposed to be no entry, opens up a case of scotch whiskey, and is uh, says there's a bomb inside, wakes uh, Tintin up, telling him there's a bomb. We see Tintin is sleeping, actually, with Snowy, so I guess he found Snowy. Well, that's, yeah, that's the, their usual way. If you think of the shooting star, they're always uh, sharing the... the the bunk together but uh what i just want to just stop for a second I'm just please thinking about um if we think back to like the broken ear the ship sequences in that in that book how static the drawings are like they could be anywhere they could just be walking on the street for mm-hmm. how for the for the sense of but when you look at this book you can see all the panels are always slightly tilted in yeah. different ways to give you the this sense of motion wave, yeah. yeah and it's very subtle but it's always happening every every drawing you know it just it's an interesting progression in art skill you know to, to how he's how he's uh come to draw the the like i say he's at this point he's done so many maritime stories so he it was probably a second nature to him to in fact he had probably had trouble he's like a, a sailor who's been at sea for a long time <laughs> who has can't get his has land legs can't get his panel legs back can't get yeah. his land yeah he's can't having trouble line. yeah he can't do when he starts doing like stuff on land he's still trying to draw like the ground tilting back and oh gotta draw the straight where's my ruler so Tintin goes in to see where these bombs are he's talking about mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, reassures the captain they're just steel plates. Everything's <laughs> fine. Uh, and, but they're all steel plates in these yeah. whiskey uh, it's just, boxes. It's just steel plates. It's not your whiskey, Captain. Everything's fine. I'm sure you'll be okay with that, right, Captain? Yeah. No whiskey? Oh, Hello? steaming what? blood, he says. Ugh, not a drop of whiskey aboard. If I catch the monster who played this trick on me, he'll be in for a rough time. That's the exact same thing he said before, in for a rough time. Maybe mix that up a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the next day, uh, uh, an angry haddock, having had no whiskey, is walking with Tintin. And uh, Tintin's saying, look, we can't accuse Snowy anymore. Some biscuits, yeah, chicken, okay, I see that. But a bottle of whiskey, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, we then see a drunk Snowy. <laughs> yep, and happy. Mm-hmm. Now, happy. here's what I wonder about this. It's good to know he's a happy drunk. But, okay, now, if this is being done as a daily strip, yeah. that means that, that that day ended with, but not a bottle of whiskey, with no punchline. And then I know. The next, and I then was going to the... say this. It's interesting that if, you know, I actually put a note later in the story, because I noticed it there, too, as well, which is that you feel like he's really, what's more important to Hergé was the book and not the newspaper strip, uh, in terms of... And you know, so he wasn't always trying to end everyone with a with a gag or right. with or with a with a. But it seems like a definite setup. Like mm-hmm. never a bottle of whiskey. Cut to you know you got to wait the next day yeah. and then like you see a drunk well, yeah. dog. Exactly, but so he's thinking in terms of pacing the story, mm. not in terms of pacing for the uh, for the strip. Sure. So you know, because he his worry was that when we talked about this as well, but his worry was that it would get too choppy. Doing like every every cliffhanger, every everything having a gag, every four panels, they would just get this repetition of things that it would start to become boring, and so rather than worry about the readers of the newspaper strip, he's worrying about the the, the eventual product of the album. Yeah, and he was still as as it was published, he was cutting out the pages and pasting them into a notebook, so that he could figure out 
you know how it would how it would run as a story and also how uh many panels he was away from 62 pages you know so we'll see as we get a little along that there's a couple of like full page or not full page but half page drawings that obviously wouldn't have worked wouldn't have would have been impossible in the newspaper but they're added here because they stretched out uh, they added a page basically the two panels sure. let's say I'm only at 61 pages. I need 62. So I'll do two large panels and that will get me to the end. So, yeah. So, uh, we have a drunk, uh, Snowy, uh, who is, uh, very drunk. Now, here's, if you aren't familiar with Snowy and from other issues, yeah. this is where things get a little weird. Uh, cause Snowy's drunk. Uh, oh, his breath smells of whiskey. Oh, Tintin's repulsed yeah. as he is. Uh, and he says, uh, now come on, show us where you found the whiskey. And, and Snowy, for the first time in the whole story, uh, talks. Yeah. Like he's just a dog with reactions to the whole thing. And this one, uh, show us where you found us the whiskey. All right. Do you want to drink too? Oh, what the heck? A talking dog. They both. Uh, fall back and shock. Well, they can't hear him. I understand that. Yeah. That's a conceit we know. Yeah. But if you're just reading this story, mm-hmm. the dog just talked all of a sudden. Yeah. And it's the only time the dog will really talk in the whole story. He'll it's talk just, again. Will he talk again? Yeah. All right. Because there's a scene in the, and after the submarine gets stuck in the weeds, he talks. Yeah. He's uh, He's got that Snoopy Garfield thing where he'll talk, but the person will understand, but they won't actually hear him. And that's the conceit. Yes. Uh, well, no. I mean, at this point, there's no understanding. There's no hearing him at all. There's no reaction to no, him I at all. Understand, but the, he's it's looking compared to the earlier stories when there was actual give and take back and forth between Tintin oh, and okay. Snowy. In these stories, there's absolutely no give and take. It's merely Snowy talking as if he was thinking these things, or or right. Though it is roughing, think, you know roughing these things out. It's clear that it's clear that uh, Snowy understands Tintin though when he says, "Show sure. us where the whiskey is." Sure. Uh, Tintin's well, dogs not understand go- us. Mm, they know some stuff, but if you go, sure. if you say to your dog. Uh, find me a can of paint. Yeah. You know, the dog's not going to go find a can of paint, right? I think, but But Snowy would find a can of paint for you. Yeah. Okay. So anyway. He's smarter than the average dog. He is very smart. Yeah. Uh, and he's found the whiskey. It is, uh, the whiskey bottle is broken. Uh, it's dripping down a wall. It is pooling up on the deck. Yeah. Uh, Haddock uh, no, sees it up there. Tintin says, "Well, the bottle must have been smashed up there. Let's investigate." I believe you go. mean it's it's uh, streaming down the bulkhead. Oh, very good. Thank yeah, you. No problem. Nautical guy. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you just keep dropping those gems through this whole thing. So like up top, uh, where where are they now? By the way, what's the top deck called? The poop deck. Thank you very much. Uh, so uh, someone is. Uh, I, have no, I have no idea. Just making that up. Is that right? Yeah, I'm just yeah. kidding. Okay. What do I know? Again, you were a fisherman. So yeah. uh, the bo- uh, someone has smashed the bottles uh, up on the top deck, and uh, Haddock is furious. Uh, if I ever catch him, I'm sure they're going to have a rough time. Right, Captain? You know, that's what they're going to have. Uh, we see uh, that there are some sleeping sounds, uh, some Zs coming from the uh, rescue rescue boat? What do you call it? What do you call the boats that uh, you escape on? Escape boats? Um, lifeboats. Lifeboats. There Sorry, I was looking for this, for the, the Z noises, but I, I see them now. Yes, you're right. All right. We uh, we pull back uh, the the top uh, sheet sheet. Jeez, I don't know any of these words. Anyway, calculus is in there. He's sleeping next to some biscuits. Let's, we'll call it a cover. Sure. Pull back the cover of the lifeboat. Calculus is in there. Yes, with Thompson and Thompson's pillow and blanket and a tin of biscuits, and he's happily sleeping through the day. Apparently, he's a bit of a night owl. Mm-hmm. So he uh, mentions that he stowed away. You know, uh, you know. I hope you'll give me a cap, uh, cabin, 
you know, ah, yeah, a cabin, I'll give you a cabin. I'm going to st- I'm going to give you a rough time. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stow you in the bottom of the hold for the rest of the voyage on dry bread and water and my whiskey. Where are my whiskey? Uh, it's on board, of course. It's on board. Oh, heaven be praised. But wait a minute. This guy doesn't understand things. Naturally, it's in separate pieces. Separate pieces? Uh, we're all getting confused. Uh, and uh, anyway, here's the whole thing. He's the one that uh, put all the steel things down there. There. All right. We got it. And uh, Furious. Furious is the captain at all this. Yeah. So, anyway. I like that he calls him an abominable snowman. It's pretty good. It's, it, a, it's a great insult. It can, it's even better in a little bit. Uh, it's, it makes it another appearance. And uh, not being able to read facial gestures as well as being deaf. He, I think he's not even deaf. I think he just doesn't understand things. There's something wrong with this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, shakes his hand. Uh, very uh, happy, thinking he's being praised. <laughs> uh, anyway, so let's go to some days later. Well, the captain's a pretty fierce character. It's hard to read his, his, his disposition at the best of times. This guy, there's something with calculus. We could look up what calculus is issue on. I'm sure it's like, I'm sure medical professionals know what's what it's so, actually uh, called. Whatever. So. Some days later, we uh, we get a great shot of the boat, and then uh, calculus is doing his not calculus. Sorry, Haddock is doing his calculations. I got a bit mixed up there by the what he's doing. Uh, he is calculating uh, where the positions where the uh, unicorn might be. So it's a now this island. <clears throat> excuse me, this island is so small that it's actually not on any chart. So they're just going by the uh, longitude and latitude that they were given on the parchments that they found. And Haddock offers a bottle of champagne for the first one to sight land. You know what? You're not going to get that champagne if it's got to go through his hands. That's a fool's errand. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, that's not happening. He does uh, like to offer bottles of alcohol for, for tasks, though. So then you get a great scene of all of them standing on this, uh, outside the bridge on this, uh, <laughs> I just want to it's not called a balcony, let's face it. We don't know what it's called. <laughs> were you actually on a boat? I was on a boat. It didn't have one of these things on it, though. Where, so. you, where are you going, fisherman? Fishing. I'm going up to the balcony. It was a fishing boat. It wasn't It wasn't anything as elaborate as this I'll be in the trawler. attic if anyone needs me. <laughs> I was on a small troller, not a trawler. Okay. So uh, then, uh, then, of course, Calculus, who's in the world of his own, over there. Everyone's looking and they can't see it. He goes, it was, it was a shark. I really was. And the captain's so mad at him. It's great. <laughs> Love it. And then the end, the week ends, or the, the day ends, with them all looking, standing on this little thing, mm-hmm. patio. <laughs> patio, that's right. <laughs> looking out the into breakfast the breakfast nook. The bre- that's where they all are. <laughs> sure. Sure, in the foyer. Uh, you were so <laughs> smug. Three pages back. So cocky. <laughs> well, where's your answer? <laughs> I was not a fisherman at any point in my life. Yeah. I have to say, we did not have this in the boat. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So then we cut to the to uh, they're still looking, trying to f- see where this is. They cannot find it. Then the uh, Thompsons classic moment here, where they they question the the captain's his math math abilities and figure out. Yeah, and then there's a little bit with um with Tintin or with Calculus saying, "Tell me, Captain, was that a fish jumping out of the water just now?" And Captain saying. No, it was a grand piano, which is a great finish to the to the whole, you know, being after being accused of of, of being, you know, his, his calculations are off. Uh, just so mad at, at at calculus taking the brunt of that. So then the Thompsons return with their own calculations, and then <laughs> Haddock looks at them, and then he takes off his hat. He says, "I have made a mistake, gentlemen. Please take off your hats." And then they the do. Thompsons do. Yeah, why must we take off our hats, Captain? He quiets them. And he starts to pray. They're really confused now. He says, but Captain, what is what is going on? And they say, 
uh, I mean, gentlemen, that according to your calculations, we are now standing inside Westminster Abbey. <laughs> and then the Thompsons put on their hats and walk away a little, a little peeved. Harumph, harumph. Yes, they're a harumph, little peeved harumph. with that. Meanwhile, they they cannot find the island. They don't know where it is. They're thinking to themselves, what, you know, maybe there was a mistake. Maybe it doesn't exist. Maybe Francis Haddock was wrong or was pulling their legs. It was a different, the clue was, was different than what they thought. So they... Captain by the way, who's the sextant. He- yeah, by the way, who's the hero of this story? And w- he hasn't done anything in a long time. Time to actually move the plot along. <laughs> so then uh, Captain is trying to figure out their... Uh, he's calculating with his sextant to yeah. figure out where their... Where, Longitude, what, what, latitude. What their location is. And then he's right. I mean, they've passed it a little bit, but they went past it and they should have seen the island. Tintin is confused. And then he thinks he got it. Yeah. And he realizes that... Because Tintin is smart, yeah. by the way. Tintin is the only smart one on the ship. Uh, the captain is competent when yeah. it comes to nautical things, yeah. but is too emotional, yeah. gets too obsessed, That's right. doesn't see the big picture. That's right. Sometimes you need Tintin to mm-hmm. step back, yeah. look around, go, what about that? Yeah. And that is Tintin's job in this story. So what he realizes is that probably what Francis Haddock did, particularly since these books are French, uh, is that he used the Paris uh, Paris as the, uh, what is it called? The Where French they, chart, it says here. The French chart, but... The Paris Meridian. For the Meridian, yeah. Because now, in 1884, Greenwich became, the, the they agreed upon Meridian. Everyone agreed. Most everyone agreed. The French didn't quite agree. They still, for another 20 years, kept using Paris as their, as their median. But the Greenwich became the Meridian... I meant to say meridian, not median. Anyway, that became the meridian. You can fix it in editing, mostly but you, because but you won't. Ugh, mostly because um, <laughs> the uh, because of the time zones. That's when time zones came in, and so they needed to have a place that everyone agreed on. Sure. And because Greenwich had sort of become the de facto meridian for most nations, uh, everyone agreed that that would become the meridian point. And so Greenwich became that. And but before that time, there was lots of different. Uh, meridians and pretty much because you're at sea and no one had a clock that worked anyway you know like they used like hourglasses that they would have to turn so you had to keep a close eye you know on your on your set you know on your hourglass to make sure that it got turned during the day so that you didn't lose track of, of what mm-hmm. the hour was otherwise you're really confused like where you were and it could cause a lot of problems with navigation and so uh, you know so uh haddock francis haddock used the paris meridian so it's you know 20 degrees different than what I think that's what they agree on, it be different than what they would have had if it had been Greenwich. So that's the clue. That's the answer. It's a it's a good little riddle. Yeah, agreed. And so Haddock has to recalculate. He's very excited. <laughs> and uh, but now the actual coordinates um, that um, Hergé used. What, what about the island near near Haiti? That's where it actually they're they're sailing to. Is somewhere in that region, and. The, the reality of that area is it's way too deep for what the story was. Like that, where you actually, they stop and where the island's supposed to be. By the way, the island doesn't exist. There is no island there. But where the point is. Sounds like someone who wants the treasure to himself would say. <laughs> for the point, yeah. To, to further that then, the point where this, on the map where it is, it's about 5,000 feet deep. Like, so too deep for them to, yeah. to do what they're doing. So yeah. But as we. As we almost agreed at the beginning of this, it's a fantasy world. It's sure, sure. not based in reality. And yet, uh, what often happens with these Tintin stories is the fantasy becomes reality, and all of a sudden, you know, a king's scepter that didn't exist all of a sudden comes into reality <laughs> and becomes true. real and stings to happen. That's so, true. That's true sometimes. You know, who knows? So I'm saying, go look for this treasure if you want. That's Don't right. listen to Dave. Don't listen to me. 
please go and try and dive 5,000 feet down to find some. Because I don't want this guy going out in a boat where he's got a patio on it. I don't think that'll be safe. Uh, so in anyway. foyer on the boat? Off uh, they go. Coxswain at the wheel. Uh, helm hard uh, port. Uh, midships steer due east, uh, yells the captain to I'm not sure who. I feel like that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> okay. Like, they all sound like words. They all that sound like, no, I'm sure they all are, but I'm sure if you yell it on a boat, everyone would be really confused and not sure what to do because uh-huh. you have given several confusing, slightly, you know, uh, counter uh, things that you wanted them to do. So so we get some more uh, business between the captain and uh, Calculus, who's like, uh, we seem to be turning back. Yes, Professor Calculus, we're turning back. Oh, that's all right then. I was afraid we were turning back. Oh, says the uh, says Captain Haddock, becoming more and more like the skipper on Gilligan's Island every time we see those two together. I love that. I love his face as, as Cuckless is walking away saying, how easy it is to be mistaken. I'd have sworn we'd turn back. All right, we're going to that evening. Beautiful water. Now, here's uh, where, this is a scene where I was, I put my note here where it says, you feel that Hergé had given the plotting over entirely to the book. Because... We come to the scene where they're looking with binoculars for the island. They go, there it is at last, our treasure island. And we have this full, you know, full panorama of <laughs> yes. the island. One day, this is given over entirely to them looking at the island. Yeah. Which I guess would give you a sense of, wow, next tomorrow, it's really going to get the, you know, the shizzle is going to get rizzle. Because now we're really going to see some stuff happen. Yeah, right? that's what they would have said back yeah, then. for sure. <laughs> so, but at the In same Belgium. time, at the same time, In you the feel, well, they said le shizzle. Sure. Yeah. Is, you know, le chisel va... Stop saying that. Okay. We're not an explicit podcast. Stop <laughs> saying that. I, well, you know. All right. So... Uh, as long as Rizzle. And, it's, and even then, you're saying, yeah, you're giving that whole panel uh, away. And then yeah. the next panel is, well, it's too late to go ashore tonight. Yeah, yeah. We'll drop anchor and tomorrow sure. we'll explore the island. Okay. And so, yeah, we next, so we see them on what they call a jolly boat. Let's, mm-hmm. let's call it a jolly boat. What the heck? Sure. And they come up to shore. And now... Um, Haddock gives the order, says, haul the boat up to the beach. I'm going to reconnoiter. And then we come to a panel at the top of page 25, the first panel, which Hergé, uh, in being asked, it, it, you know, in interviews, what is your favorite thing you've ever drawn? Like, what is to you, like, the best moment in, in Tintin? This was his answer. This and one other panel were his two favorite panels that he ever drew. The first panel that he mentioned, and I was going to talk about it in the show, but we kind of got uh, short for time and kind of went past it really fast, but was in uh, The Crab with the Golden Claws. There's a scene where um, Haddock is yelling at the at the um, the guys, the, or the Berbers, whatever, the, the people who are attacking them. Okay. He's yelling at them, and there's a scene where you see the, them standing up. You can see, like, Haddock's swears in the air over top of them, and then they're getting up to run away. And Erzé loved that shot, and he loved this shot too. And the reason he loved both of them is because they enco- they encompass three different times... And it's all in you, it's all, you're seeing it at one time. And so you're advancing the story with, and you are showing in this one frame, you're having all this action happening. So here we have the past, which is the serious in the background, dropping anchor. We have the present, which is Tintin and the Thompsons pulling the boat up on shore. And then we have the future in the captain walking forward into the next panel to reconnoiter. And Erge, it's hard to know if he was serious or he was just pulling people's legs because he's the sort of person that, you know, if asked, like, you know, how do you see yourself after all these years of doing Tintin? He would say, in a mirror, you know. <laughs> so, you know, he may have been pulling your legs, but at the same time, you can kind of see his point. If you, as, a, as an author, aren't worried about the fantastic drawing, the giant drawing, the drawing of, 
Tintin and, and Haddock in spacesuits looking over the entire surface of the moon, which you think would be like a great drawing you'd be proud to have done. But what you want, what you're more concerned about is storytelling and economical storytelling than what you would like best are the panels that can encompass so much with so little, you know. And so this was an example of that for him. Nice. All right. And now to a gag with some crabs. Um, <laughs> Just to go from the sublime to the ridiculous. That's right. We're talking about, uh, you know, the crab of the golden claws, and now we're having a crab gag. Yeah. So, uh, But a great crab, crab gag, by the way. Yeah. Uh, they hear a bang. Uh, Tintin wants to see what's happened. Uh, it turns out uh, Captain uh, tripped, stubbed his toe against yeah. something, and it fell over, and the gun went off. Meanwhile, lucky, lucky they're by the sea for that red herring. Ha! There you go. Well done. Uh, uh, Thompson and Thompson are having some crab-related issues. Uh, one of the Thompsons is uh, getting his toe uh, hit, hit, pinched by a crab, uh, and uh, they get swacked uh, by uh, the other Thompson trying to get the crab and off. What's so maddening is the crab was off. The second panel, True. the crab is no longer And you see uh, Snowy looking at this going, man, a couple of books ago, this would have been me. <laughs> That's right. 100%, this would have been me taking it. It's like Snowy hired all of these new comedy <laughs> relief characters just to take some weight off of them. So Possibly. Onto the, uh, onto the beach, the other Thompson now has the crab on his toe, as he would. You've yeah. got to balance things out. Sure. Uh, and uh, it's worth noting that the last panel for that for that day was Tintin and Captain Haddock on their knees digging in the sand. Sure, cliffhanger, folks, cliffhanger. So uh, uh, now we're back the next day, uh, and uh, Thompson and Thompson both have uh, are, are limping. They got canes because uh, of their crab-related injuries, and uh, the, that digging has revealed uh, the remains of a boat. Yes, a boat in which uh, Sir Francis uh, Haddock. Uh, once came ashore on the island. Well, I it's, guess they, it's safe to assume that, I suppose. Well, that's what they say. So, and then I'm we get to a wonderful half-page panel, uh, just beautiful drawing. And you know, what I was saying before, like uh, you know, if people are going to tell you that you know Hergé needed the studio to produce that the really great books, but this is a really great book. And if you look at the drawings in this book, they are so good. And this is an example of it. The detail of this jungle sequence is great. If we think back once again to the broken ear. Since we talked about it for the boat, let's talk about it for the jungle. How many of those sequences were just the characters in with a green background, like mm-hmm. just floating in the midair and entirely in a green background? Uh, because, you know, now Hergé is taking, taking the time not only to to draw the this foliage, but also to research the foliage. You know, so all this is what you would find in this sort of jungle. So, you know, he's going that extra mile to... You know, not everything in here is perfectly correct, but it's still interesting. Now, this uh, the panel that you're talking about, mm-hmm. the half-page panel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people have. Uh, there have been posters made of the covers. I would say this would be a great. Uh, this would be a great poster. Mm-hmm. Just this alone. It's just such a beautiful image. Has yeah. the movement so balanced yeah. so well. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the only thing missing from it is you don't have snowy in it. That yeah. would have made it perfect. But you know, for a poster, but for the story, it works perfectly. But yeah, that is just a gorgeous bit of business. <laughs> yes, because but we know that snowy's gone ahead because someone has to find the bones. And snowy is one for bringing back a bone. He's usually uh, giving us a little comedy relief. As we see, oh, that's a dinosaur bone, or maybe it's a camel bone. This is a little more grisly. Now let's see what comedy <laughs> is on the next page. Human bones. Yes. Okay. Not so great. And everyone has an appropriate horrified reaction to the very proud Snowy yeah. holding up a femur. Yes. Look at me. 
Uh, so yes, it's been taken away. I now from have them. a taste for humans. Once they realize what it is, it's is taken away from. Them. Let's be let's be fair. Yeah. And uh, I don't think this is strictly accurate that there would have been cannibals in this area of of the world. But okay, um, who knows? What do I know? Actually, I'm not going to say anything. It's a made up island. It's a made up island. But I mean, in that yeah, I area see what you're saying. World. Yeah. Uh, not to say that it's made up island, just in the fact in that that region, I don't think that there was. But anyway, so uh, then there's a weird thing where the captain gets a pebble in his shoe, which is a strange moment. He stops, the others carry on, and then they find uh, a kind of a fetish that looks a lot like Sir Francis Haddock and also like Captain Haddock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, it's based on a real, not completely based, but the look of it was based on an actual uh, museum piece that Hergé had collected in his in his files. It was a it was a uh, Bamalike. I don't know how to say that. Sorry, everybody. B a m i l e k e. Well, you should research your words better because I do that every episode <laughs> to make sure. sure that I say everything perfectly. Sure. So, uh, tribal fetish from Cameroon. So then they realize that the fetish does indeed look like Sir Francis Haddock. And uh, Tintin says, uh, "It's." I wonder what they first thought when they heard him yell, "Ration my rum." And then and they then. do hear that. They hear a loud "Ration my rum." And uh, they think, oh, well, that's Haddock saying it. And uh, but nope, no, he was he was actually had a pebble in his shoe, which seemed like he didn't have a pebble in his shoe. It looked like he was wanting to check something out on his own. But nope, yeah. that wasn't the case. Uh, you know who shouted what? You saying, uh, well, it wasn't you. And again, ration my rub. Nope. And uh, one of the Thompsons is now scared uh, that this is a haunted uh, jungle. Yes. Yes. All of a sudden, they hear, yeah, they hear swears that sound like they are the captains. Mm-hmm. Uh, pockmark uh, and such. Uh, but the captains You're had not enough. going to say of... Oh, there you go. Well, la-di-da. Someone can say <laughs> long words. Uh, pockmark yourself, you gibbering ghost. Uh, he's not scared of no ghost. Uh, and uh, it says, come out to, if you dare, Polynesian, cannibal, iconoclast. Uh, the, the voice responds, nincompoop, ruffian, uh, baboon. And then we realize... These are parrots. Yeah. Parrots that, uh, over time, have uh, passed on uh, the swears yeah. of the ha- of Haddock uh, from generation to generation. Or maybe they're old enough, you know? I mean, parrots do la- last a very I long time. I don't think they last that long, though. How, well, how long would it be? 200 years? That could be two parrots. <laughs> parrots can live longer than 100 years. Though these look like young parrots. Very beautiful, nicely colored. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, they're all uh, swearing down. Uh, and, and Haddock's had enough of this, uh, throws a coconut up, uh, and, uh, throws his back out doing it. Uh, Tintin says he'll rub his back for him. Very nice. Snowy's looking at his back concerned. And then the coconut comes down, hits Haddock in the head. Once again, Snowy going, that would have been me <laughs> seven issues ago. Very happy. Well, definitely Captain Haddock has replaced Snowy as the main yeah. foil in, in the stories. Of things being hit in the head, yeah. Well, almost Aside everything. I mean, Thompson and Tintin, Thompson. Yeah, Snowy they're... has basically... He's not quite completely regressed to being a dog, but he's very much, back, very more, much more like a dog right. than he was in the in the beginning. So, uh, so uh, the captain wants uh, Tintin's gun. He's gonna turn them into parrot soup, but nope, uh, Tintin is not having that. You know, calm yourself. They're just parrots. Uh, but then when Tintin turns around, his gun is gone. Yeah, where could it be? It's a mystery. Let's look up in a tree and solve that mystery. Uh, blistering baboons, monkeys, gibbons. Orange outangs. Give us back the, those guns. And Did you say uh, orange tangs? Isn't that what he says? Orangs outangs. Orangutangs. Yeah, but it's like with a hyphen in the middle. Yeah, it's just a spelling, but you can still say it like orangutan. Can you? Yeah, why not? Well, if you want to. <laughs> you can say it the right way either way. Um, 
so uh, Thompson and Thompson are like, no, don't worry. We'll, we'll take care of this. Uh, leave it to me. We'll frighten them. Uh, they're aiming uh, f- uh, their, their canes, canes yeah. up like they were guns, saying bang, bang, bang. Of course, monkey see, uh, monkey kill. Uh, <laughs> monkeys now know how to fire a weapon and shoot the, the captain's ha- ha- hat off. Yeah, which could be, <laughs> could be terrible. And uh, then the gun, of course, comes down on the Thompson's head. Yeah, because they drop it because they're scared of the sound, uh, flattening yeah. their hats. Luckily, their hats cannot uh, go down onto their heads uh, well, too it, far because they're tanned. They flatten the palms. That's true. And then, uh, but, you know, I guess all's well, it ends well. Yeah, is it? There's not much you can say about it after that. So they, they, they just kind of troop back down. And then they, then they actually decide to bring the idol back with them. Mm-hmm. Then we have an interesting sequence where they're rowing back out and the captain is... is trailing his hand in the water on the boat, and he is quoting The Secret of the Sea by uh, Henry Longsworth, Long, oh, sorry, Wadworth Longfellow. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's the quote there. In the original, the French version, it's a poem called Le Lac by Alphonse de Lamartin, or sorry, Lamartine, and uh, that one, like, what Tattic is, or, Tattic, what Haddock is saying in English is, ah, what pleasant visions haunt me as I gaze upon the sea. All the old romantic legends, all my dreams come back to me. In the, the French version, it, the, what it said, it's not going to rhyme because this is translated. Remember one evening we wandered in silence on waves and under heaven far and wide. And sound came, no, sorry, no sound came save the call of the oarsmen stroking your song-like tides. That's the version. The, and just as he's saying that, Tintin sh- says, look out a shark. Which almost takes his hand clean <laughs> off. <laughs> yes, Captain Haddock snatches his hand back just in time. And then we see there are several sharks around them. The captain is so upset, he decides he's going to shoot the sharks. And grabs a rifle, fires, and it hits it with a bing. And we're like, what could that be? And this particular shark uh, emerges from the water, and it's calculus in his shark submarine. And in a particularly bad example of uh, Hergé's coloring, the why is the canopy painted brown? Hmm. Inexplicable. Because it should be a reflection of what's around it. So it should be green. But for whatever reason, it's brown. And really, when you look at that page, the color scheme is so monochromatic almost. There's really nothing. There's like three main colors with a couple other colors dotted in. Yes. Come on, Hergé. Hire someone to do that coloring for you, please. You kind of wonder uh, with that uh, shark thing if maybe uh, Calculus having that shark uh, brought the other sharks around. As the <laughs> other sharks. That's went, right. Hey, hey, there uh, must be some food here. That's right. So, you know. Yeah. It's too bad because Haddock missing a hand would have had a cool hook or something, and that would have been nice. But mm-hmm. oh well, opportunity missed. Uh, <laughs> the next day, uh, Tinson's made up his mind, and he is going to go into this uh, shark submarine. Yeah. Uh, Professor Calculus has explained exactly how uh, the machine works, uh, not listening to any Tinson's questions, I'm sure, because he couldn't. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Calculus says, Stop, wait a minute, forgot to tell you, when you locate the wreck, uh, press a little red button on the left of the instrument panel. That's going to have some smoke come up, and we'll know where the wreck lies. A little red button. Gotcha. You, uh, missed, you missed the panel of, of the, the, them winching the, uh, with the crane, lowering the, the shark into the water. I very would, good, then. I like that uh, panel. You do like a good winching. Well, I just like, yes, that's right. Me and winches. I like, uh, I just like the gadgety kind of things. I like, sure. I like how he draws the, those things, because I cannot do that. <laughs> Yet. So. So, yeah, uh, so uh, you know, we have a little bit of, uh, no, no, a uh, red, little red button, ah, because he doesn't understand what Tintin's saying. Uh, Tintin uh, dives down with the shark. It's a nice uh, it's a nice image. You've seen it on the cover. Now you're seeing it in the comic. Yeah. Uh, and he's enjoying himself. It's fun. And uh, Snowy says, golly, what a lot of water. Okay. 
Snowy, it's not exactly Oscar Wilde. Nice job. <laughs> he, uh, is a, he is a dog. He is a dog. So there he goes. Uh, so uh, so the captain's hoping nothing goes wrong. Uh, gone long. Why, it's only been ten minutes since he dived, says Calculus, not being able to hear what he says. And in fact, something does go wrong as uh, Tintin gets uh, stuck in the weeds. Yeah. Uh, tries to free himself by going into reverse. Doesn't work. Nope. Jammed up. Uh, realizes, ah, that's smoke. Let's use that. Smoke goes up. Uh, which excites the captain, thinking that they found the unicorn, uh, the wreck of the unicorn. Uh, but, uh, oh, well, all right. Uh, they, uh, they go to uh, help him, uh, go out in the rowboat, and uh, lower down uh, Tube, uh, the underwater viewing instrument. Nope, not the wreck, just Tintin. They realize uh, that he's stuck in the weeds. Yeah, yeah. I, so, yes, then, of course, like, there's a bit of misunderstanding between Calculus and, and Haddock. Course, yeah, there cause... sure is. This was about the point where I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, we get it. We get it. He can't, <laughs> really? he can't hear. All I right. Still enjoy it. Well, that's good. It's endlessly you. enjoyable to me. Fair um, enough. So then... But because you know we do have that aspect of it, but then when they start, they decide uh, it's Calculus's idea that they use they use the uh, the anchor to hook on to the shark to try and pull it free of the uh, of the uh, the weeds. But what's weird in the sequence is they actually when the Haddock should be saying, "Of course, we'll try and hook it on the submarine, then we'll pull on the rope until the weeds break." But they actually have the the uh, Balloon pointing at calculus, but it yeah. actually should be Haddock singing that because he's asking the anchor what for, and then he realizes what for and explains to us what they're going to do. So then we have calculus looking down through the underwater viewing instrument, and uh, which probably has a name besides underwater viewing instrument. And then he, uh, it's you know he's being very helpful. He's doing a really good job guiding the captain to find this, to find the uh, to you know to get the anchor hooked around the shark. Because we also should have mentioned that Tintin had a limited amount of time in this, so he's actually his breathing. Uh, his oxygen supply is running out. He's got very little time, so so it's of the you know it's important that they try and do this as quickly as they can. The first time Haddock tries, he misses. The next time it does hook around the the shark's fin, and they're able to pull it up. And then a great sequence of him trying to pull against the weeds. Mm-hmm. Finally, it frees itself. He goes backwards into the water, and uh, Calculus gets a face full of underwater viewing instrument, <laughs> and uh, he's a bit dizzy looking. And then. Uh, Haddock, who's now in the water, says, Billions of blue blistering barnacles. I hope there aren't any sharks about. And at that moment, Tintin uh, emerges from the water, and Haddock rides the uh, nose of the shark, looking at us in surprise, and then back down into the water again yep. with good a big stuff. splash. Good it's very stuff. good. And then the comet isn't in there because the anchor, now in let go of it, heads down to the bottom of the water. And then Calculus takes the uh, buoy in the puss. <laughs> It'd be so, nice yeah. if after all this abuse he could now hear perfectly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, uh, it's rather great. So then we cut. Then you said that Snowy doesn't really talk again, but he does because he says, True. weeds or no weeds, I am not going underwater again. And then then uh, Tintin says, fine, let's get ready. Come on, Snowy, we're going under again. <laughs> but I was just talking to the audience. Yeah, that's right. There's so. the only ones that can understand me now. So in so. this sequence, we can cut ahead a little bit sure. and point out that, uh, well, one thing that's interesting now, actually, is that it's an interesting part of Calculus's character is that we have, you know, this serious inventor, the scientist, this person, but then we also get this sort of crackpot element to him as well. And now he's got holding a pendulum and he's doing dousing or divining yeah. where he's trying to uh, figure out where the treasure is by divining where it is. But in that case, you would use a pendulum. Dousing uses sometimes a fork stick. You would walk along and it supposedly would tilt down when water was present and point to the ground. And then you would spend a lot of time digging and hope that it was flukily right that <laughs> you 
you actually did have water there. Yeah, it doesn't seem to work with a, a scientific character, but you know, he's an eccentric. But he's an eccentric. Yeah, he's not just a character. He's, he's a he's a he's a what would you look explorer? You know, he's and trying maybe to figure out. He knows that this works. Maybe he's smarter than us on this kind of crack. Well, pottery. I mean, saying westward, it's never. You know, it's really not accurate unless you're thinking in terms of westward. Is that no matter which direction you go westward, eventually you will come to some to True. to a location. Uh, it doesn't say you know how far you have to go westward. But yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's, it is. In, it's curious. Uh, in, uh, in in another book, the Thompsons used the pendulum, and it's right. It's telling them the right information, but they're constantly misinterpreting it. Mm. So it, that's the that's the joke there. But um, yeah. So now uh, Tintin finds the, the wreck. He finds yeah. the wreck. He sends out the smoke signal. Now things are going to get serious. So now he's going to get into the diving suit that they paid uh, ten pounds for. <laughs> right. That and, worries uh, me. Now that they bought the cheap diving yeah, suit. Yeah, that's right. And actually, it is an antique diving suit that he used as a reference. It's uh, based on a model designed by a guy named Louis Deneyrus in 1889. So it's a it's an older one. And but what was interesting, it was the first model that attached the helmet with hooks rather than have uh, have through bolts go through and seal it on that way. So in this case, the hooks went up and then you would pull them down. Uh, and then that that action would would keep them in place. You know, the the force of right. pu- pushing them down would keep them from popping up. And that was how the helmet was put. And it was easier to take the helmet on and off because you didn't have to like undo the bolts and right. uh, wind them. And so, so yeah, uh, Snowy is not enjoying seeing Tintin going down in the no, suit. No, very doglike. A lot of very doglike. And then we get another great uh, half panel sequence of Oh, before then, Tintin. sorry. Okay. Snowy does fall down on his uh, butt. There we go. And we get a little of classic Snowy. Uh, we don't know whether he's crying because of pain or because he's worried about his uh, master. Yeah, it's a combination of both. But yes, you're right. There's an, a beautiful half panel, again would be a good poster, uh, of Tintin walking towards the wreckage. Yeah, very good. And so those fish from the cover that I like so much seem to be making a cameo here. Yeah, and what's interesting is we we assume it's a unicorn. There's no identification of it, and we don't see the unicorn yet, so we're not too sure True. how they know. He says, so this is a unicorn, but we don't know for sure. We do see a skull uh, there, yes. a little bit creepy. People went down with the ship, and yeah. uh, he goes in, and then suddenly his water supply, or his, his air supply stops. This is concerning. What's happened? That, and then we see that the Thompsons are leaning over the edge of the boat just to see what's happening. Yeah, just relaxing. Just relaxing. What's going on? And then we get I, one of my favorite in, insults of all time by Captain Haddock. You infernal impersonations of abominable snowmen. Pump for your lives faster. So they're back at it. Then the uh, air supply is restored to It's tension. a little weird going back to the abominable snowman well. Uh, I know. Year. I like it. I like it. Okay. I'm, I like uh, it. I'm glad you like it. He always repeats his insults. Bashi Bazook and Pythanthropus. Yeah. They're, they're all right. Well, this is, this is the moment where Thompson and Thompson become full-on idiots. <laughs> You know, to they degree. should know better than that. To a degree. All right. So then, uh, well, they should. I mean, they should know better. But at the same time, they're they're landlubbers. They've never done this before. They don't know anything about these machines. Uh huh. You know, your assumption of their knowledge. You know, why would they know about this? Mm-hmm. Like why? Because he told them pump the air pumps. <laughs> He didn't say to do it, how long to do it, obviously. Right, but obviously yeah. you're pumping air pumps for some reason. Yeah. Look, they're idiots because of this, right? That's the idea. It's like they're a couple of dummies, which is why they stopped. That's the joke, right? <laughs> okay. It was like, what's their problem? Why would? How would they know? No, they're dummies is why. Okay, so they're, anyway. they're resting. It's tiring work, you know? No, they're dummies. All right, so uh, Tintin continues to explore. He gives two jerks on the line. He wants to come up. He's found something, and it is a gold cross encrusted with precious stones and a cutlass. Uh, the cross is superb, says the captain. Good start. 
and uh, and here's that line that you uh, that you liked earlier. Yeah, where Calculus is wondering why they're lying to him and telling him that Tintin was going for a row when he's clearly diving in, down to the wreck. And then we get some a lot of business now with Haddock. He decides he's going to go under uh, underwater in the diving suit, so uh, he's going to put it on and then gets his beard caught. Gets his beard caught in in the. Uh, and actually, there's a lot of echoes of the Buster Keaton film The Navigator in here, where that had a lot of business with the suit as well, including it filling with water and him having to be upside down as the water dumped out of it. Because in, in this sequence, uh, Haddock goes down, he finds a bottle of rum. So he excitedly yanks on the rope, they pull him back up. By the way, uh, Snowy gets smacked in his face with the rope. So Snowy is going through some pain. <laughs> yes. Now we're back to Snowy getting yeah. uh, beat yeah. up a little well, bit. Yeah. The ASPCA seems to be uh, taking a nap. Uh, uh, Thompson and Thompson style right now. Yeah. As you yes. probably realize, wait, he hasn't been hitting the nose for a while. Uh, so yeah, better, better do it fast. So then Haddock comes up, take the helmets removed. He's so excited to find this 250 year old bottle of rum. He says, just you taste it. Then he proceeds to drink it all in one giant gulp or several gulps and, uh, passes it back to them empty and then decides he's going to go under again to get some more. And he just dives right into the water without putting his helmet on. And of course, that doesn't work very well. So they have to pull him back up. And he's suit. blaming them for not uh, yes, using the pump. He's mad at the Thompsons for, he calls them bashy, bazook, and bashy bazooks and ectoplasms. And he comes up and then he, of course, he sits down with his suit full of water and it splashes up into his face. So they by have the way, to do. He's, he's sobered up by this point. He doesn't have his uh, drunken stutter. Yeah, That's how you know yeah. he's drunk. So the uh, almost drowning did uh, sober him up real yeah. quick. Yes, apparently. And then they have to turn him upside down and pour the water out, which I think would be rather uncomfortable because all the water would go up your nose. And, mm-hmm. uh, but yes, so he does go visits, down again. A couple of visits later and we've got a lot of rum. Yes, he did find what was very important because, well, let's be fair, someone took all the whiskey off the boat. So he's been drying out for this whole voyage. Yeah. He really needs a drink. We see Snowy looking at the rum as well because he's a bit of a souse himself. Yeah. And now they're looking They're looking at the cross. And uh, now, you know, Tindin's, well, I wish I'd found the treasure rather than this cross. And uh, Calculus is having his own conversation, of course, cross, cross, uh, at cross purposes to everybody else. And then they hear a... <laughs> I get it. What? Oh, yes. Inattentional. And then they hear a, a sound like a bird, a cheep, cheep sound is happening. And uh, they go out onto the deck and they hear it. They, it's the pump. The pump is making a weird noise. They go down there and they find the Thompsons are half asleep, still pumping. And, of course, the captain has to tell them, because as Ian pointed out, they're idiots, has to also tell them to stop pumping. It's not enough just to tell them to start pumping. Now they have to be told to stop pumping. And we cut to uh, the captain leaning over the deck, calculus with his... Uh, Divining. His divining pendulum, still convinced that uh, does he has he told them yet that the that the the treasure is not there? I don't think so. Okay, so he's still trying. He's just still trying to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Tintin's uh, going down. He's uh, yep. found another bottle of rum, but now I'm going to leave it here for the captain. <laughs> you know, wonder what we've got here. Reaching down and finds a casket. Great yeah. snakes! Could it be Red Rackham's treasure? I'll go straight up and see what's inside the cap the the the, the casket. But he spots a shark. Yeah, well, for once in a while, once in a blue moon, there actually is a cliffhanger to this panel. <laughs> yeah, this final panel. The uh, shark eats the cas- the casket. Yeah, swallows it whole. Which seems impossible. It was actually based on a story that that Hergé had read, uh, where a shark swallowed uh, a camera. This guy it was a uh, this very wealthy person. His name was Otis Barton, and he was an explorer and an undersea like an undersea explorer. 
he also invented a bathysphere and you know went off of uh, Jamaica under un, deep underwater. And he was uh, taking pictures of sharks underwater, and a shark swam towards him and grabbed the camera and swallowed it. Mm. And then those were the days when cameras were big. It wasn't like a little yeah. uh, phone camera. It was a big giant box. So Hergé took that story and he he put it into this this version. And so yeah, this is actually quite exciting, and it's got lots of good. Uh, the shark swimming around. So you end, you end each panel ends with a shark doing something threatening, whether it's just kind of heading towards Tintin or just swimming past him, looking at him. And then we f- end the yep. set of panels with him getting hit, struck by the tail, and he falls backwards. Oh, into well, let, the I want to go back wreckage. here. Sorry, no, no, we've gone through a lot of stuff here. Let's let's go through this. Uh, the shark bites Tintin's head, uh, but uh, breaks a tooth. Okay. Because uh, yeah. he's got the helmet. Yeah. And then Tintin does something that actually makes a lot of sense, which I don't know if people knew about back yeah. then, which is if you want to stop a shark, you hit it on the nose. Yeah. And that's what he does. He swacks it on the nose with he's the bottle of He's also smart enough to, to back up against the wreckage of the ship so that his his pipe, his, his air supply doesn't get severed by the shark. Yes. And so he hits the shark on the nose, which works, distracts the shark. It's odd that, uh, and the shark uh, then bites the uh, the rum. Yeah. Uh, that uh, nothing is coming out, by the way. Uh, and uh, and then the shark, uh, as you say, uh, uh, swacks uh, Tintin with it with his tail. And luckily, the shark gets drunk at that point. The well, the bottle's upside down, so it's not going to flow out. True, it's the water pressure. That but anyway, uh, so yeah, the shark then drinks the the rum, I guess, and gets drunk, and then passes out. Yes, he's, he's he can hold his drink less well than. Uh, than Snowy. And then he's uh, lying on the bottom, uh, sleeping it off, as <laughs> Tintin says. Now, if you know anything about sharks, you know if they sleep it off, they're dead. Yeah. Because they got to keep moving forward to breathe. So you might feel sorry for this shark later on that it gets uh, opened up, uh, killed and opened up. But let's just assume the shark's dead because yeah. it li- laid on the bottom. Of the Although they do say it struggles as they're pulling it up. But I mean, it's just the weight. It's it might just, be the weight. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. So they pull up this shark and then they pass another rope down to Tintin to find out why he's uh, sent a shark up to them. And uh, he tells them to uh, open it up because that's where the casket is. And then controversial, controversially, Calculus points out that the fins are particularly tasty. Okay. Back then so it wasn't an issue. This book is... And also it's a lie because the fins are not very tasty at all. They're very flavorless. I shouldn't have pointed that out because uh, now this book will be boycotted. Um, so then they grab this casket because this is the treasure. Here it is, Red Rackham's treasure. They finally found it. They run off to the office... Uh, had a running rather awkwardly. It looks like a marionette rather than a person running. And then they uh, he starts trying to open it with a with a blade. Tintin says, "No use this crowbar." And he starts trying to pry it. And then of course, you know, it's Hergé. So when it opens, he has to like crunch down to poor Haddock or poor Calculus, who's it was help trying to hold the casket as well. And he gets his hat mushed. He likes a good hat mushing as well. Hergé does. And then and then we see uh, well. It's Haddock's not, so disappointed. It's not the treasure. It's, it's documents. It's just just some dumb documents. What am I supposed to do with documents? And uh, But Calculus seems a little bit interested in them. Yeah. He goes, uh, yeah, I've got it. These are old documents. Definitely old documents. Ugh. The chap will drive me crazy. <laughs> I love Calculus. And then... Um, so then we find uh, the Thompson twins are trying their own, their own hand at uh, deep sea diving. They've seen how it's done. They've watched... Calculate, or sorry, they've watched uh, Haddock and Tintin go underwater many, many times. And so Haddock, of course, says, well, I'll pump just to make sure that you guys have air. So he starts pumping, he looks down on the deck, and there are the weighted shoes. So then we cut to Thompson upside down. He cannot walk because his head is, of course, on the on the seafloor. Yeah, yeah and because he cannot, and he cannot duplicate that. So back to pumping for them. And Tintin 
is, of course, coming up and has yet found nothing, much to Haddock's disgust. And then uh, Calculus, once again, being a helpful fellow, notices that there's a cross on the island. Is that the eagle's cross that is mentioned in the, on the parchment? Well, that makes Tintin very happy. So happy he dances with Calculus. He dances with Calculus. And we get a nice little scene there of a very confused Calculus being danced yeah, with and, and getting dizzy. Once again, in the French version, it, it, uh, Erge used an actual song, uh, which was a wal- kind of a waltz based on uh, Franz Lahar's uh, Viennese waltz, Gold and Silver. It was a song called Ninon Kill a Du de Valse avec vous. So, uh, but for some reason, in the English version, they didn't actually use a real song, or they quoted... They kind of pigeon quoted a song called Three O'Clock Waltz, which or Three O'Clock in the Morning, I should say, which was a waltz that was popular in the twenties and uses very similar lyrics, but not quite the same. So it's almost like they're just sort of misremembering it and used it that way. Okay. So it's weird because the Longfellow poem, they actually found a, a, a poem to alternate from the French version rather than just do a straight translation. They found something similar, but they didn't bother with this, which is weird, but okay, whatever. So off to the island for everybody to look for the treasure. Uh, we see more of the swearing parrots uh, there, and but this point, Haddock is hello, my old friend. Yeah, they're he's, fine with it. It's fine. Uh, they get to the uh, Eagle's Cross, or is it? They're so certain the treasure's there. Haddock could he could just take anything at this point. So yeah, time to start digging. Uh, uh, a confused calculus is: Are you looking for something? Yeah. Uh, digging, digging, digging. And by the way, Haddock will give a bottle of rum. To anyone who finds the treasure. I don't think he will. But not that I don't think he will, but isn't the rum just belong to everyone? That's a good point. It's not just his rum. They're all sharing in this, in this, in the work, in the hardship of this well, he's, journey. He's uh, offering what the most valuable thing to him would be. Yeah. Which is the rum. Which is a bottle uh, of alcohol. Once again, Calculus saying... It was champagne before. <laughs> yes. Now it's rum. Once again, Calculus is holding his divining uh, stone saying, yep, towards the west. Yep, that's what it is. And, like, and it's not what they're saying at all. Uh, but is very confused as to what they're searching for in this hole. Yeah. Digging, digging, digging. And uh, Tintin says, no, it's impossible. The treasure can't be here. What? Why? Says uh, the captain. Just think, uh, supposing Sir Francis Haddock left the unicorn uh, carrying the treasure, why would he have buried it here at the foot of this cross? What would you have done in his place on the day you left? The island, uh, you'd have taken the treasure with you, wouldn't you? Oh, you're wasting your time again. Uh, once again, Calculus saying to the west while holding his uh, thing. That's enough for uh, Haddock. Tosses. Uh, well, the he's just spent away. four hours digging a giant hole. Yeah, and by the way, look at the crummy hole they dig. In no way as good as the guys from Supernatural, who can always dig a perfectly rectangular hole top to bottom. Wow, I did not expect a reference <laughs> to Supernatural in this podcast. <laughs> I went there. Okay. So then uh, Haddock is so, you know, it's obviously frustration. He's not truly (laughs) mad at Calculus. He's just mad at the situation. But Calculus, of course, being very annoying with his dumb pendulum, which Haddock promptly takes and throws away. But uh, but Snowy, being a dog, brings it Mm -hmm. back because he's playing a game of fetch. He's a good dog. Yeah, and he uh, he stamps on it. Then then Haddock takes it again and throws it, stomps it into the ground. He's so mad. And then Snowy digs it up and brings it back to Calculus again. Yep. Because he's a good dog. He's a good dog. What a a good little doggy you are. Yep. Yeah. Now Snowy's made a good friend. Yeah. Very happy. This is probably the happiest Snowy's been this whole uh, thing. (laughs) And then then Haddock notices the the pendulum again and he's so mad that... And then, of course, Tintin's role to calm the captain down, but the captain cannot be calmed. He just says, just let me fly. I just have to do something. I'm so mad. And he hits... He buries his, his pick into a palm tree, at which point all the coconuts come raining down on his head. Not all of them, Dave. Uh, because he takes a look up and uh, gets hit in the face with another one of them. Yep. Well, well 
this has all been a wash. Too bad. Uh, so uh, now Tintin's going having uh, a, a look for uh, Thompson and Thompson. Yep. I wonder where they've got to, the sillies. See, even Tintin doesn't respect them anymore. <laughs> he calls them the sillies. You know, he wouldn't have called them that a couple of episodes ago. But this one, yeah, he's yep. the, they're the sillies. Yeah. So he finds them. And what are you, on earth are you doing? Uh, they've got uh, the shovels. Well, us? Well, we're just filling in this hole. Uh, people never look where they're going. Yeah. Well, they, they should know. Yes. Of all the people who would fall into a hole, it's them. It's them so absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the next day, the captain is basically given up on this whole yep. quest. He is over Tintin. You know, I guess they have enough supplies to last them another till the fifteenth of the month. Yeah, six six more days. So he says, you know, we'll just go until you know that time, and then if we don't find what we want, we'll stop. So it's back to pumping for the for the poor. We Thompsons. have a montage of calculus looking at these papers. Yeah. While the Thompsons are pumping, calculus well, pumping. Haddock looking mad. Haddock looking mad. Tintin in his suit. Luck. Back to calculus. It's now the fifteenth, uh, and calculus looks out the window, saying, "Well, what's happening? It looks as if oh, I got to warn the captain." But of what? Yeah. Of this beautiful shot of the boat, because we're gonna have that. <laughs> yes. Uh, the boat is under sail. Yeah. Uh, is, that, is that what they say? Or under power? I don't know what they say anymore. I don't know. Once again, you're the boatsman. When I was, we said under salmon when we started from the boat. <laughs> when we were moving, we'd say the boat is under salmon. Well, you know, I, but, uh, you know that's I, I'm glad your of... story isn't a boat because it doesn't hold water. <laughs> that's the kind of, you know, lingo that I'm dropping <laughs> sure. down on people. Well, next time you see Dave at uh, any of the cons we go to, yeah. ask him for some of his sailor lingo. Ask him for more of his con. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Calculus runs in on uh, an angry captain and uh, not angry Tintin, uh, yeah. saying, uh, Captain, Captain, the ship's sailing. Well, what would you like it to do? Uh, dance a jig? And uh, <laughs> it's a good, it's a good line. Uh, I, love, the, I love their interaction. I, yeah. I'm, I'm sad that you don't. No, it's fine. Yeah. I don't mind his interaction with the captain and the captain's reaction. Yeah. I don't then like back. You know, we're on a boat. You want an ice cream float? I, that is not my <laughs> type of humor. There's very little of that in this, but okay. Okay, fine. When you're a kid, though, that is the best, by the way. I think the best it's when you're ages. a kid is a knock-knock joke. It's all ages. All right. So uh, the calculus says, uh, ah, I see now. At last you have realized that the unicorn is not where you were looking. You were steering westwards, I understand. Ah, I've had enough of this, is the captain. But Come they're not. Me. They're steering eastwards because they're going back to Belgium. All right. Am I not right, people? No. I'm not going to sail around, is it the Cape of Good Hope? Like underneath South America, then back up around through, like through Asia, then back under the Cape, the good, the Cape Horn mm. by South Africa, and then up to, that's the only way west you can go. That's a lot of gas. You tell us. That's a lot of diesel you're wasting. Anyway, Haddock is gesturing towards the unicorn itself. Yeah. You know, uh, saying, you see that? I suppose uh, it's just the, it's the figurehead of the Titanic. <laughs> and uh, you get uh, you get a little bit of sweat coming off of uh, calculus. Oh, yeah! Uh, my surprised. word, it's a unicorn. But what about my pendulum, which was swung to the west? How extraordinary! This pendulum is. Oh, well, uh, we're now seeing the boat, and uh, we uh, showing a little us time frame. Nice yeah. time frame. It's actually a nice way of showing time. It is actually. Just to have some uh, uh, calendar pages up top, going from the sixteenth to the twenty second. And what's good is that it shows Tuesday the twenty second, and then when you turn the page, it's. It's uh, July the twenty third. Wednesday the twenty third. Yeah, on so. someone's uh, on someone's desk. You say it's Wednesday the twenty. Did you say Wednesday? Yeah, because it's Tuesday the twenty second. Oh. So if when you turn the page, it's it's going to be Wednesday the twenty third. Very nice. Okay, it's a guy at his desk. 
Uh, hello, uh, Daily Reporter. Yes, what? The Sirius is docked? Are you sure? Actually, Good. It does say Wednesday underneath as well on the, on, the, on the calendar. What's that you say? It's Wednesday. His, Thanks for the confirmation, on his, on his Dave. Appreciate it. All right. I'm disappointed. Let me move on with the story then. What I'm saying then. is you're blind. Hello, is that you, Rogers? Uh, go to the docks at once. The Sirius has just come in. I want a good story about her. What? Tintin's a reporter? He should be doing it? Look, we're not even covering that nonsense anymore. Just go down to the docks. Rogers? Tintin is much a reporter as I am a, a fisherman. Okay. So, well, fair enough. On my patio. So, uh, so, uh, they're, they're saying their goodbyes, Captain Haddock and Calculus. Yeah. You know? And, uh, it's, uh, Captain, he says, I'll say goodbye to you and I'll have my submarine collected tomorrow morning. All right. Good. Uh, now, uh, please let me thank you, Captain. You've been very kind. Uh, thanks to you, I will always have unforgettable memories of my stay on board. So shall I. <laughs> meh, meh. Uh, meanwhile, thud. Someone's fallen down something. Wait, but most of the comedy relief characters are here. What could this be? Yeah, I, obviously just an excuse to have a cliffhanger. I mean, it's just, obviously, RJ felt like, I've got to have something happen. So I'll put a thud yeah. on this page. That'll be the ending for today. The thud. And it's Everyone's going to be saying, what thudded? Yeah, it's Ken Rogers of The Daily Reporter, yeah. who I feel if he took his shirt off, would be Superman underneath. Mm. Uh, why well, wasn't yours the paper that gave uh, up the news of our departure? Uh, yes, it was. There you go. And, uh, and so the captain, in a bit of revenge, uh, gives the reporter uh, calculus to talk to. Yeah. And you guys but, know what the, what's going to happen now, right? But it's great. But it was the best part about it. Okay, you know, go, the calculus the stuff part. is okay. It's okay. It's not terrible. I enjoy the f- the flustered reporter. But what's best is the captain r- walking off, with, rubbing his hands, <laughs> and looking evil beyond all. And then when you then you get to the panel where Calculus is leaving and saying, "And you may rely on me. I will keep this strictly between ourselves." The reporter with all kinds of little spirals coming off of his head, looking completely flummoxed. But then you get at the top of that panel. Haddock peeking around the corner, looking so pleased with himself. It's wonderful. All right, this is going to be a bit of a, a, a weird reference, but look at the top of uh, page fifty-seven on the left panel. Doesn't it yeah. look like Calculus is talking to Seth? Yes, cartoonist right. Seth. That's right. Yeah, Seth entirely based his look on Ken Rogers from. Uh, Pretty much. Look at that Red panel Rockins and tell me that yeah. ain't Seth. Yeah. Okay, moving Even on. How he draws himself. Let's get two more comedy characters out here and uh, and have them talk. So, but uh, it's a good payoff. Come on, man. It's you're, fine. You're underselling this book. I'm you're not underselling, underselling at all. Look, am I underselling? Yes, People, you, you be the Keep judge. Fans of Tintin, is he, he not underselling this we great book? We are almost to the end. Let us get there as gentlemen. Ugh. All right. So uh, the Thompson Thompsoners are saying goodbye. Boy. Okay, fair enough. Very sensitive, <laughs> these fishermen. Uh, well, Captain, our mission is completed uh, because he knew we were aboard. Max Bird didn't dare interfere with our activities. Uh, and the captain goes, why did you bring him up then? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. You put a gun down in the first act. <laughs> it's not fired in the third act. Ugh. I better see this Max Bird guy in the next story. Yeah. Why and he we... better have a huge plot. Why did you show us the overflowing bathtub and not come back to yeah, it? Yeah, the bird has flown the coop. <laughs> so uh, so the Thompsons say they're a bit tired of the journey. They're just going to spend a few days in the country with a farmer friend of theirs. Okay, yeah. well, you have a good relaxing holiday. Yeah, have a good holiday. Smash cut two. Uh, the them. farmer, where? Well, no, but them going now for the simple healthy task of the countryside. No more pumping. To, to be precise, of course, no more pumping. And then we cut to them pumping and turning the wheel on a machine on a chaff cutter. Or sorry, crunch. Or they're actually crushing the oats in a oat crusher, I guess it is. Mm-hmm. Their next job will be to turn to the chaff cutter, which probably also re- involves a lot of turning, which is 
I don't know. I guess this is uh, the 40s. You think at this point they would have had power tractors that had like the big belts that ran off them that would run well, the How would that machinery. be funny? But that's true. There you Where's go. Where's the comedy? The comedy is great. We'll come back to that scene, actually, because it's going to relate to something we're going to talk about later. Have you but, ever uh, worked uh, crushing oats? No, I have not crushed oats. Uh, I... Have you ever cracked corn and did you care? <laughs> I did not. My, my friend Jimmy did. He could care less okay, about cool. the corn that he cracked. Some days later. Uh, uh, we come back to the mysterious double doorbell. <laughs> That's right. Of doom. Yes. If you press the wrong one, you die. The tiger comes out the door. <laughs> That's right. It's you the tiger or the tin you get, you get a princess. Yeah, that's right. That's princess right. or the tin tin. That's the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, guys, we're getting giddy by the end of this. <laughs> and so Calculus has returned and uh, with he's documents. come with documents. And then he shows him to Tintin. And Tintin is so excited. He grabs he grabs Calculus by the hand and they go running down the street together holding hands to see the captain. After saying great snakes. It's Sapristi. And then it's like... It's like we're back to uh, the Secret of the Unicorn. It a lot is. of running between apartments. They run to, uh, and maybe that's the last time we'll see 26 Labrador Road. I probably said that last last book. Yeah. This well, I, the, we'll I never remember, see it again. I remember about six, six episodes ago where you went, he won't be a reporter in this next one. <laughs> well, I, Everyone, he's a reporter. What I meant was and... that you don't get a sense of him as a reporter, though. I mean, I know people say he's a reporter, but really, is he a reporter ever? Yes. All right. So, uh, but I mean, you can say, but if you don't show it, like, what's the point? I mean, I could call myself a car, a car mechanic, but if I never do it, am I? Okay. So and he doesn't say it about himself. Everyone else describes him as a reporter. Look, I'm just saying that uh, Indiana Jones doesn't do a lot of uh, actual archaeology. He spends mm-hmm. a lot of time uh, punching punch shirtless bald men and throwing them into yeah, plane yeah. propellers. That's the thing. Those and who... shooting guys in other lands uh, when they've got swords. Yeah, because we know those who can't teach. All right. So uh, the documents are presented to Haddock, who... What? Wow. You know, uh, Charles II, by the grace of God, King of England, uh, desiring to reward our trusty and beloved knight... Francis Haddock, blistering barnacles. Rest. Uh, read the rest. Can you read the rest, Dave? Because I yeah, I uh, know. But let's just say that what it says is thundering typhoons. Am I dreaming? It's Marlin Spike Hall. Marlin Spike, my family estate. So and we've seen Marlin Spike Hall. The manor of Marlin Spike was granted by the king to Sir Francis Haddock. Yeah, that became the family estate. Which, of course, at some point, the family's fortunes changed. The estate fell out of the family's. Right. Uh, they this, did not. They weren't smart and didn't do primogenitor, which is the only way to pass along an estate, or also to make sure that it's what's the word I'm looking for? To make sure that it is entailed to the uh, male heir of the family, so that it always stays within the family. There we go. If these people would learn, if they did not read Pride and Prejudice, they would have learned <laughs> oh, boy. how you make sure. Oh, you slip Pride and Prejudice <laughs> into this as well. You slip Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> supernatural, and supernatural into this. Yeah. Now just stop it. Let's get to the end. <laughs> Before Trollop makes a, an appearance. Again. Okay, and then somehow you're going to put the Beatles in here. All right, so anyhow. By the way, uh, Marlon Spike... I have a lot of hobby horses to ride. Uh, yeah, Marlon Spike Hall was where uh, Tintin was kidnapped to. Yeah. And uh, broke through a wall and saw a bunch of treasure yeah. in uh, previously. So, yes. All right. That was owned by the Bird Brothers. Oh, yeah. that guy who escaped. Yeah. What happened to him? Well, that's a good question. I believe he's in a bathtub holding a gun. <laughs> So, uh, uh, then so discover, Haddock leaves and yeah. comes back, uh, shows Oops. shows that Marlin Spike Sorry, Hall is for sale by auction on Saturday, the 9th of August. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, they're very excited now. And then, now, here's the thing. I like that uh, Tintin says, well, what about it? Well, Captain, it's quite simple. Your family estate is for sale. You must buy it back. Tintin is always so positive. Yep. And then Haddock, being the 
opposite side of the coin says, buy it back with what? And then Tintin says, well, that's true, we need money. And Hag says, well, if we found the treasure, this would be no problem. And then Calculus takes a look at the paper, and he is excited to see that Marlin Spike Hall is up for sale. We must buy it back. And the captain says, oh, yes, buy it back. That's easy, eh? What about the money? I suppose you've got the money. And he goes, oh, yes, that doesn't matter. Wait, and it's the first time he understands what he's saying. Oh, yeah, money. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, he is looking at the captain's hand, yeah, making the, cap- the money he's gesture. Making, he's making the money gesture or playing a violin that's playing a song. And then uh, the smallest violin in the world. Then Haddix, or Calculus says, I've got the money because he has come into some money because he sold the patent for his shark-based sharp shark-shaped, sorry, shark-shaped submarine to the Belgian government or to a government that is not mentioned. Yeah, let's not say who he sold it to because clearly it would be the Nazis at this point. <laughs> the government has paid me a large sum of money for my submarine. Thanks to you, I was able to try it out. So in, to thank him for this, he lends the money or at least gives the money to Haddock, who then we see a sign that says house for sale and Haddock comes into the next frame and writes, this house is not for sale. Yeah. Signed Haddock. And then we see them doesn't walking. doesn't actually say this, but yes, you're right. To be precise. It says this house. Nope. Yes. Nope. Take a look on my book. Oh, they changed it. Look at my book. Ah, interesting. I wonder why. Why would Egmont change that? That's weird. All right. I'd have to look at the French and see if maybe it doesn't say this house is not. But anyway, this house is not for sale, it says. And now we or see. Or it doesn't, depending on we the book. See, <laughs> we see the next frame once again. A rather unexciting frame if you were reading this in the daily paper. But here's what you get that day was. Haddock and Tintin walking triumphantly down the path towards uh, Marlin Spike. In French, it was called Moulin's Art. Uh, that was the name that uh, Erge gave it. And it was named after a small Belgian village, a very small Bel- Bel- Belgian village near Brussels called Sarmoulin. Okay. S-A-R-T-M-O-U-L-I-N. So Hergé just switched around the name. Instead of being at Sarmoulin, it became Moulin's Art. And it was based on an actual chateau uh, called the Chateau de Giverny. Uh, and what he did was he just chopped off the outermost wings on either side of it just to make it a little more small and less grand. The actual Giverny is a really grand chateau, like really big. So he just kind of chopped them down and made it into a smaller... Because if you look at it, it's obviously not... Even though we have been led to believe that Haddock is British, it's hard to say where in the books we get that idea that he's British. I mean, he knows Chester. Chester is obviously British. Yeah. And they sail together. So it implies that Haddock, and his name itself, Haddock, which is a British fish, mm-hmm. implies some sort of British nationality. But other than that, I mean, in the books, uh, Sir Francis Haddock sails under Louis XIV in the French versions. And this is obviously a French manor house. It in no way looks like an English manor house. It's French in every way of arch- in architecture. So it's hard to know exactly what, what uh, Hergé, what sort of double game he's playing here. Yeah. I think he wanted to mix it up enough that you never had a sense, an exact sense, of where where it was located at this point in the stories, where he didn't want it to be based in Belgium anymore. He took out references to Belgium. He you know wanted it to be sort of more international and have yeah, a sort it of sense of any place. Stories. Yeah, yeah. So they're in the uh, mansion because I'm sure there's people who read it. Sorry, I just want to say I'm Please. sure people when the kids read it, German kids read it, they probably thought it was based in Germany. And when kids read it who are based in South America, they probably think it takes yeah. place in South America. Like they have no real sense of, of where it is. So uh, they're taking a walk around the mansion. Uh, Tintin shows, oh, by the way, this is the room where I telephoned you. Remember back when I telephoned you and you were yeah, terrible the, at the understanding yeah, me that? screaming uh, the word Marlin Spike and you were basically pulling a calculus on me and couldn't understand <laughs> well, these simple things? to be things. fair to the captain, it was a, a proper name that he was being told for the first time. And it was probably, 
And phones in those days were actually hard to hear, much harder to hear. They weren't as high fidelity as phones nowadays. You cut people a lot of slack in these stories. Well, you know, I'm just saying. All right. If you read uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's The First Circle, there's this part in there where there's an inventor trying to invent a phone that can be more clearly understood. Sure. So that the Russians could spy on themselves more, more okay. easily. I'm just glad this wasn't a trollop reference. All right, moving on. <laughs> You're the one making uh, those it references. Sound, it sounds like Tintin hears some footsteps. Yeah. Well, it's a wonderful house. Uh, my ancestor had good taste. You know, uh, you know, uh, and where are those uh, famous cellars you talked about? So down they go. Yeah. Uh, they walk through the wall that Tintin broke through when he was held yeah. prisoner. Yeah. Also a, a clever, clever device. With a very clever device, by the yeah. way. Also a good basement to hold someone prisoner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, many, uh, t- uh, there's a lot of junk there, apparently, says uh, the captain. That seems a bit dismissive of all these, you know, paintings and sculptures. Uh, and... Uh, you know, Tinson says the Bird Brothers must have used this as a storeroom. It seems like this would be a good point to find the Bird Brother in yeah. here, right? Yeah. Like he's hiding. Well, because you're setting it up too. You, yeah. You're hearing footsteps. Well, they're so they're setting it up again. They mentioned the Bird Brother. Yeah. They mentioned the Bird Brothers. Weird. You're right. It's not paid off at all. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're getting on a little bit of a tour, showing everyone. Uh, the captain thinks it's incredible, and then, well, again, Tintin. I think I heard a noise. Yeah. Uh, and then, oh, hooray! Look, the Eagle's Cross. And then shines force the eagle's cross. There it is, the eagle's cross. And he's pointing at a statue that he previously re- referenced, which is Saint John the Evangelist. Right. And he says we must be in an old chapel. Why an old chapel would be in the basement of a of a, a manor house? I don't know. Unless, unless it was a chapel, and then he built the manor house on top of the. That's a possibility. Or if this is actually England, they could have been Catholics who had a priest hole, ah. had like a secret chapel, so that they could still have their services and not get uh, arrested for being Catholic. There you go. All right, so uh, now we're really going to get some information out here. This is this is one of those times where here's the point: uh, the eagle's cross. I see a cross, but where is the eagle? There, in front of you, Saint John the Evangelist, who is always depicted with an eagle, and he's called the uh, Eagle of uh, Patmos after the island where he wrote his revelation. He's the eagle, and there's the globe next to him as they move a painting out of the way. You know, uh, there on the spot uh, given in the old parchment, the island we went to. Great snakes, the island's moving, and kaboing! Open, uh, open it comes with a spring-loaded uh, top. Of course, hitting Haddock right in the schnoot. Yeah, and uh, Snowy's jump, uh, jumping out of the way because he knows he's next he's for this next, sort of business. Yeah. The piece of, it falls to the... What's weird about the globe is it doesn't have England on it. Oh. Strange, isn't it? Interesting. Does it have Australia? No, you can't see Well, you can't see Australia, there. so it's... Wrong side. Yeah. Okay, so uh, they open the globe, and there we have it. You liked, you read about it on the title of this story, Red Rackham's Treasure. Yeah, it looks pretty nice, actually. It's pretty impressive. Yep, they found it. They found the treasure, and it's stupendous, says uh, Tintin. You know, uh, so Sir Francis Haddock did take the treasure with him when he left the unicorn, and to think we were looking for it halfway across the world when all the time it was lying here right under our very noses, Calculus was right. Yes, Calculus was right and well was he right yeah because he's actually we see calculus walk into the room following his device it led him here so he uh, was right well he's it was already well i guess okay i just assume he was with them when they went there no anyway. i think that's the i think the context is he just found his way there okay. and went down into the the okay. basement and following so his pendulum. let's turn to the next uh, page it is a good sequence so i mean them, them standing on either side of of the door with their the halberd and and the sword waiting for this you know, Max Bird. We assume it's Max Bird who's sneaking around, look, still looking for the treasure. And then Calculus walks into the room. Right. And, and on the next we page... We all say, where 
Why? Why didn't the gun get fired? <laughs> Next page, we're seeing uh, it's it's later. Uh, this all has been turned into a maritime gallery where the relics of the ship, the unicorn, are on display. We see. If I uh, could just break, break. Please. Sorry, just for a second. Well, no, you describe the scene. Sorry, I was, gonna, the I was scene. just going to say that you see there the ship uh, that uh, you'd see on the cover of Secret of the Unicorn. Yep. You also see uh, the image of his ancestor. Uh, which is, Sir Francis which is also on the secret of the cover of the unicorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see uh, his hat. Uh, we see the unicorn itself. We see the anchor. And we see Snowy enjoying a bone. Yeah. While, uh, Rescued from the island. Spectators uh, look around at all the artifacts and Haddock yeah. dressed to the nines. Yes, he's actually wearing his full full dress uniform. And uh, what I was going to say, though, is that it, this is an interesting you know, half-pager because it actually replaces, I think, four panels. Because there's no way in the next panel that it would make sense for us to know where they are, like what's happening. Ah. So I think that Hergé took out four panels from the newspaper strip and replaced it with his full page. So that instead of breaking it up into four parts, yeah. he can show it all as one It's room. also nicely laid out, you know, yeah, this it's, way. It's, very, yeah, it's much better and more, it's more impressive because you can see everything in, in much better. And then we end with a fantastic gag of... Uh, Ian's favorite part of the book, where calculus cannot understand what people are saying. Right. Why don't we? Why don't we do it? Uh, I'll be calculus, and you be Haddock, and we'll just okay. end with this bit. Okay. All right. Here we go. So uh, Haddock says, "Yes, yes, but I said, all's well that ends well. Don't you agree? Your maritime gallery. I think it is very successful. <laughs> Thanks. But I was just saying that our adventures had a happy ending. They've ended end happily. Oh no, thank you. Never between meals." No, no, blistering barnacles. All's well that ends well. All's well that ends well. Without any doubt. And this is just the moment to quote that old saying, all's well that ends well. <laughs> I love Good it. Good doing. <laughs> Say uh, Tintin and the, and I the captain. A, I think it's a fine gig to end yep. on. And uh, there's Hergé's signature, and we close the he, book. He proudly ends it. What's interesting about that, actually, is, okay, so when Hergé finished the story, of course, he's... Now he has to do another story. So traditionally, he gives a month break between, but he actually wanted to take a little bit even more time. And he had a friend whose name was uh, Paul Kinnett, and he was also a, a fellow uh, journalist on Le Soir. And he came to, to Hergé with an idea. And he said, what I'd like to do, I'd like to write a story about the Thompsons, if you'd be okay, or about the Dupont, actually. That's their real name in mm-hmm. French, the Dupont and Dupont. I would like to write a story about, about them. And I'll use them as characters. And what I'll do is I'm going to write you out, like I'll write out, you know, a few few pages, and you decide if you like what I'm doing, and we'll do it that way. And so, and you can illustrate it, and I'll do the writing. And so Ayrshay was like, okay, well, that sounds like a good idea because this way I get a break from writing, but we still have some content for the for the paper. And so what they did was that Kinnett wrote out a full story, and the story is called Dupont and Dupont Detectives. And Ayrshay uh, just did like a single illustration for each day. So it lasted for around 40 days, and it starts with them on the farm. And the very first panel is them pumping at the, at the oat, the mm. oat uh, crusher, and then the story goes from there. And it was basically, it's much more of a mystery story than you'd find in, in, like in Hergé. And what it was basically is it, it still took up the same, um, the same room. Here, I'll show you an example, and I'll post one on the paper. It took up the same room as, as, the, as the, the four-panel Tintin strip would have taken up. But instead, it's, it's, a, it's you know, written out... Uh, story uh, with just a single illustration and it's basically it's basically just like a normal mystery story uh that it, it involves murder and wartime uh black marketeering and the thompsons just dis- discovered and there's a little bit of comedy obviously not a lot of slapstick because that doesn't work so well in uh, verbally and it still doesn't really 
uh, advance the verbal uh, gymnastics of, of, of them. It still has the to be precise. I'll just repeat what you said. Uh, but they use, like, they get a book called uh, How to Be a Perfect Detective. And so they're using that book to try and solve this murder. Or this, it's actually a disappearance of a farmer. So the farmer where they're staying, in the morning they wake up and he's gone. And they, they don't know where. They heard a car in the night. But of course they just thought it was just a car. So they went back to sleep. And when they wake up in the morning, he's gone. And then they sort of start trying to trace him from there. They find a license plate lying on the road. And then they use that to go to town. And then they, they tr uh, trace that to a, a car owner and blah, blah, blah. So it's a pretty interesting story. And they're more competent in this story than they are in, say, what they become okay. in, in the, uh, the normal thing. So that, so that ran from uh, September 24th. So the day after the Red Rackham's Treasure ended, which was on the 23rd, the next day, this started, this ran from September 24th to November 11th. And then it would be a month later for Hergé still to start the next story, which was The Seven Crystal Balls. Cool. And that's the next thing we're going to be talking about as well. Yes. So um, now here's what we normally say at the end of the show. We're going to say it again. Uh, we love to hear from you if there's anything that we've missed out on or any details. Uh, if, if you know what things are called on a boat... They might want to let us know. Yeah. Uh, we have a website, Sneaky I'm Dragon. Sure, I'm sure when they're standing on the, the balcony around the bridge that it's called the ship's foyer. Sure. Why know. not? Uh, we're at SneakyDragon.com. The reason we call ourselves that is because we do another podcast called Sneaky Dragon, which is the two of us talking about basically everything that we don't talk about on here. Trollop. Yeah, Trollop, Supernatural, all those things. Uh, and uh, we love to hear from you. And our message board is there. Anytime we post an episode, there's a message board underneath. And uh, that's a good place to comment. If you'd prefer to use Facebook, why not? Uh, we are totally Tintin on Facebook. We are Sneaky uh, D at uh, SneakyDragon.com is our email address. We yep. also like to hear from you there. And uh, if you do us a favor, and, you know, I think we're friends now. We've talked to each other for about two hours. We're, 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 yeah. we're chums, right? We're as close um, as we're ever going to get. What we're going to ask is, could you lend us some money? <laughs> no. All right. Forget that. Forget I said that. Yeah. I went too far. Yeah. Uh, instead of lending us money, uh, if you could go to, say, iTunes and mm -hmm. give us a review on there, yeah. that helps people to find out about the show, and we'd it, appreciate it's that. It's as good as money. It sure is. It's money in the bank. Yeah. The Bitcoin bank. <laughs> so, uh, so there's that. And I think that's generally it. We just like knowing who the heck you are out there. Yeah. Because, you know. Uh, and, uh, and let me just say this much. I've been enjoying these Tintin books. So there. We're, uh, we're now officially at the halfway mark. Yeah. And, uh, I'm enjoying the ride so far. They're only going to get better. Is that right? Mm -hmm. All right. Promise made is a promise kept. Yes. Uh, so thank you so much for I, listening. That's oh, the thing. I don't have to keep it. Erge does. That's true. Yeah. And he keeps it in the past. Mm -hmm. So. Unless you're a time traveler, that will be... I don't know what I'm even talking about anymore, so we're going to wrap it up. I'm Ian Boothby. <laughs> I'm David Dedrick. Thank you so much for your kind attention. Bye.